Now then, let's turn to start off with, I want us to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3 today. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we read your word today, help us to understand this book is written to us. This is an owner's manual, and it's written so that we will know what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do, who we are, where we're supposed to live. You, wrote, you put everything in this book for us. Now, as we read it and study it, I ask you to reveal to us the truth of what we need to do as your sons and daughters. And we praise you and thank you for the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. To start off with, we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33. Proverbs 3.33, and it says, The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. But he blesses the habitation or the house of the just. Now, you can be a son of God and fall into either one of those categories. You can be a daughter of God and fall into either one of those categories. In other words, the curse of the Lord, you don't want to fall under the curse of the Lord. The curse of the Lord, when this thing happens to us as Christians, this is why so many bad things begin to happen in our world. And I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament, and we're going to read some of these things. The curse of the Lord, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. So don't be wicked, you know. Walk holy before God. If you're walking obedience to his word, it says that he blesses the habitation or the house of the just. So if you'll walk in obedience to his word and do what he says, he will bless you. Now, if you do not, his curse is going to be upon you. Now, his curse is a different curse than the curse that you were redeemed from, from the law. In other words, we're, we're actually redeemed from the curse of the law. I mean, I didn't know that for the first 40 years of my life. And so since I didn't know that, it was sin on my part, and the enemy was able to beat up on me because I didn't know I had been redeemed from the curse of the law. But that's just like so many people today. The majority of people today is lost, but yet the gift of righteousness, the gift of salvation has been paid for every human being on the earth. Any one of us at any time can come to Christ and accept Him as our Lord and Savior, and it makes no difference where you've lived. I mean, you could have been a murderer. You could have been an abortionist. You could have been anything. It makes no difference how mean or how wicked you were. When you come to Christ... He redeems you from all of those things, washes away all of your sins, and gives you a clean slate to start over on. Now, that's good news. That's really good news. Because there's some people, you know, that have been drug addicts, you know, been in prison. Uh, you know, they've been murderers. They've been rapists. They've been all kinds of things. And then when they come to Christ and He redeems them from that, they get saved and if that's as far as they ever go, they will still continue to have problems with the enemy because they don't know that also you, they were redeemed at the same time from the curse of the law. But since you don't know that, the enemy continues to beat up on you. And if you never learn that you have power over the enemy, you will 
continually be afflicted. He will torment you, your children. He'll put fear. He'll put strife. He'll put all kinds of things in your life. And the average person's like I was most of my life. Since I didn't know those things, the devil had no trouble beating up on me. He'll come by your house on a regular basis to torment you and afflict you. But you're going to have to learn how to overcome him. You can do that. But you're going to have to stay in the Word every day to be able to do it. You can't do it unless you're in the Word every day. But the curse of the Lord. Now, the curse of the Lord, we're going to read today a few places from the Old Testament where the curse came upon people. And not only on the person that did it, but sometimes on the children into the future. So, we're going to discuss this in pretty good detail today. I want you to see how your sin can, or your disobedience from several different places in the Old Testament in First Kings we're going to talk about today, not only will affect you, but it will affect the person beside you or someone else in your life or someone close to you. We'll see several examples of this from the Word. Now then, the curse of the Lord. You don't want to go there for wickedness because if you do, there will be a curse from God come upon you. And I'm telling you, it says right there, the curse of the Lord, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. So if you're living wicked, you're not doing what God says, that curse will come upon you. Now I want us to turn to Deuteronomy 11. To start off next, Deuteronomy 11. I want you to go back there. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 27 and 28. Here, there's many places in the Scripture where the Lord makes these statements, but this just happens to be the two I'm going to use today. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God. A requirement, isn't there? A blessing if you obey. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord. So what is it that determines whether you're blessed or cursed? Obedience. And you do that. You do that. Now, if you walk in obedience to His Word, then you're going to be blessed because God's going to send His blessing, the blessing of the Lord is going to come upon you. If you're disobedient to what He says, then the curse of the Lord is going to come upon you. And there's not anything you can do to change those two things. There's no such thing... As just in between ground. Either living under the blessings of God or under the curses of God. And he's the one that makes that decision. Now he makes that decision based around your decision. You are the one that determines whether you're blessed or you're cursed. And it's really quite easy to walk in the blessings when you learn. It's kind of like you as a child. When you were growing up, if you had a mother and a father... That was a good mother and father, and they laid down a set of ground rules, and all families that love their children lay down a set of ground rules. You can do this or you can't do this. How many children, or how many of us that have been children, always put mother and daddy to the test? We all did. We want to find out where the rules go to. How far Will mama go? Or how far will daddy go? And we find out real quick how far each one of them will go. And we will put them to the test right there 
we'll keep stretching that ground until one day, usually it's mother, mother usually being the weaker vessel, even though she may have daughters or sons, if the child is a certain kind of a child, they'll drive mother to the breaking point. Now, when they drive mother to the breaking point, some people will say, when mother called my middle name, I knew I was in trouble. If mother just called and called my first name, I knew I was still on safe ground. But when I got to the point where she called both my first and my middle name, and maybe my last name too, I knew I had reached the breaking point. I was fixing to fall under the curse of mother. And that's when they changed. Well, let me tell you, don't go there with God. You know, don't go there. Don't put him to that point. Don't put him to the test. Now, we did that as children, and we learned what mother's and daddy's breaking point was. And we learned that if we went to that point, we always wanted to stop just a little bit below that point because we didn't want to suffer the consequences. Well, the ideal thing is don't take mom and daddy to that point. And for sure, don't take God there because he says in Deuteronomy eleven twenty-seven, a blessing if you obey. And verse 28, a curse if you do not obey. That's pretty, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, isn't it? He didn't leave a whole lot for us to uh, just even think about. You know, you're blessed or you're cursed. And it all revolves around obedience or disobedience. It's really quite simple. Now then, let's turn over. Let's go to 1 Kings. <clears throat> let's go to 1 Kings. Uh, chapter 20 is where I'm going to start today. I've got a lot of scripture here today. I don't know whether we'll be able to get through this. This may take a couple of Sundays to do this. But I want you to see these scenes that I see in this. Since the Lord told the kings of Israel, He told them when they go in to possess the land, the kings that were in there, they were to destroy them. They were to destroy them. This is what used to really bother me when I used to read this. I think, Lord, here you are supposedly a merciful God, and you tell your people to go into the land of whatever and kill every inhabitant, men, women, and children. How many of you ever read that in God's Word? He knew what he was doing, didn't he? You know, I don't understand all those things, but I do know what happens when we go into a place where there's leaven. If I take a drop of leaven and I drop it into a bowl that's got dough in it, and I put just a little bit of leaven in there, what's going to happen to that whole bowl? It's going to rise, the whole thing. It's going to spoil it or whatever. That's why the Lord told us in the New Testament, a little leaven, leaven is the whole lump. That's why He tells you who to stay away from and who to stay close to. That's why He told you, He said, if you have a brother, talking about us in the church, that's living in sin... You are to go to that brother and tell them what they're doing wrong. And he said, if you convert that brother, you have saved that brother from death. But he said, if you cannot convert them, they will not change. He says, then you are not even to sit down and have a meal with that brother unless you become a partaker of their sin. So if God said that, you need to be very careful 
whose homes you go to and who you deal with, especially if they profess to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you've got a brother and sister in Christ, or a brother in Christ, or a sister in Christ, and you know that brother is stealing from his company, and you know he is, then it is your responsibility to confront them with that, if and only if they confess to be a Christian. Now, sometimes people say they're Christians and they're not. So it's kind of a very touchy situation. You have to realize that, as we talked about in Bible study last Tuesday night, Paul, because he confronted people with these things, he was beaten, he was bruised, I mean, he went without food. I mean, he suffered severely because he confronted the church. Now, at the time, and we're studying in Second uh, Corinthians, but when you read First and Second Corinthians, you realize the church absolutely has never changed over the years. The church in the days of Paul was a wicked place. There was terrible things happening within the church. Was there good people in the church? Oh, yeah. But was there sin in the church? Yes. Is there sin in the church today? Yes. All over the place. It's still the same. It's not changed. So when Paul, when not only Paul, but when the kings of Israel was told to go into a land, they were given a command to kill everybody. Everybody. Men, women, and children. Well, a lot of times they didn't do that. Well, when they disobeyed God, I'm going to start here in the... Uh, 1 Kings chapter 20, start verse 34. And it says, Benedad said unto him, The cities which my father took from my father I will restore. Now let me bring you up to a little of this. King Benahad, uh, this guy was so wicked, he had 32 nations gathered to him and he was going to wipe out Israel. He was just killing who he wanted to. He was a wicked critter. He was traveling across the country with all these other nations. He was wiping out people. He was killing them. And then, just to bring you up, he come up to Israel, and he come to the king of Israel, Ahab, and he said he sent a runner, and he said, Now, I'm coming in, and I'm going to take all your silver and all your gold and all your prettiest wives and all of your good, healthy children. I'm going to take them. Now, how would you feel? If somebody come to your house and said, I'm going to take your wife and I'm going to take, if you've got two or three healthy children and they're able to do that, I'm going to take them and I want all your silver and all your gold. I guess you're just going to say, okay, come get them. Yeah. Well, that's what Ahab said. When you read this story, you'll realize that he had no, what I call, staying power. No, no ability or no willingness in him to fight against evil. And that's kind of the way we are today. We fall right in with tolerance. But King Ahab, the king of Israel, was told by this wicked king, which is off over here getting drunk with his generals, he said, send a runner in over there and tell Ahab, we're coming in and we're going to take all of his silver and all of his gold and his prettiest wives and his best children. And when he come in, the king says, okay, no problem, my king, you can have it. That doesn't sound like a man with a backbone to me, does it, you? But that's what he said. And then after he said that, 
Oh, when the runner come back and said, King Ahab said, no problem. You can have all of his silver, all of his gold, his prettiest wives, and his best children. No problem. You can have them. Just come tomorrow and you can have them. He said, well, go back over and tell him I'm not happy. Go back over and tell him, after we do that, I'm going to run through all the palaces, all the people's houses, and I'm going to take the most precious items and the best things that everything's in the palace and everything in everybody's house, anything my men want, we're going to strip you all and take everything we want. See, whenever the devil, when you give him place, one place, and tell him he can have this, he ain't never happy with that. He wants the rest of it too. It depends on where you're going to draw the line. Well, I'm going to tell you, in my house, he, I've drawn the line right there. He ain't having nothing in my house no more. That's where I've drawn the line. And I realize times it's going to take a war to stop it. But you may have to fight the devil in ways, and it, you may not like what happens, but you're going to have to stand your ground. Don't be a wimp like Ahab was. But after he told the devil, okay, you can have my wives and my children and all my silver and all my gold, he's going to come back and get everything now. Not only the king's stuff, he's going to come through the nation of Israel and his troops, and they're going to run through, and they're going to take everything from everybody that they want. That's when Ahab called a board meeting. He called a board meeting. He said, what should we do? They said, don't give him this stuff. I thought, well, we got some men in here, you know, that's at least a little bit strong. Don't give him nothing. So, finally, they went to the Lord. Wow, what a place to go to. The last place. God, what should we do? And he said, well, because Ben-Hadadad is such a wicked king, and because he says, I am not powerful, you take just a few men out, and I'll see that you win the battle. When God goes with you, you can't lose. So they sent a few men out and they whipped the socks off of the Syrian armies and killed thousands of people, 100,000 of them. Got, they got a handful of troops, Israel does. And they killed 100,000 men and there was 20,000, 27,000 of them left. And they ran in terror over to another city and they ran behind a wall to hide. And the wall fell over and killed the other 27,000. When God's with you, they, 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 we have no fear. All it takes is we got to walk in obedience to God's Word. And He will fight for us. And when He fights for us as His children, I mean, I mean, if back in this day, if they could take this, now then this king, as, we, as I'm bringing you up in this story, as this king, now he knows Christian people. The devil knows. Look at the verse down there. In verse 31, it says, And his servants said unto him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful. They're merciful kings. Let us pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes upon our heads, and go to the king of Israel peradventure. He will save your life. Now this is the king, that's, this guy, I mean, before he was whipped, he ain't having no tolerance with nobody. He's going to take what he wants. He's a big boy. He's going to kill you. He's got 32 nations behind him. He's got 127,000 soldiers. And he feels like a big boy with 127,000 men. But when a handful of little Israelites goes out and wipe out 100,000 of his men, and 27,000 of them run like crazy, and then get behind a wall in a city, and the wall falls over and kills the other 27,000, he's down to zero now. And he ain't the big boy he thought he was no more. 
And now then, guess what? The man that wants to kill everybody, does he want to die? No. No. Let me go over and talk to them. Maybe they'll be merciful to me. See, that's what happens to us as Christians. Whenever the devil comes in, we're too merciful to the devil sometimes. We're too merciful to that beast. We have to realize who we're fighting against. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the devil himself. But the devil works through people. And God knew this. That's why, that's why the Lord told these kings of Israel they were to kill these people because the devil was in them. So now then, because of his disobedience, now then, whenever he goes over and does what he did, did in verse 34, And Benadad said unto him, Ahab, The cities which my father took from your father, I will restore. And thou shalt make streets for you in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Now then, he's going to tell him, I'm going to go back to these cities that we took from you, and I'm going to rebuild these things, and I'm going to name them with streets and everything, put your name on them and everything, and I'm going to do great and wonderful things for you. Will that get a king's attention? You drive around here in these cities, we see all kinds of presidents and people's names on streets that have been affluent people. Government has never changed. It's still the same. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. Now he's disobedient. What God tell him to do? You're to wipe out your enemies. But now that he's making a covenant with this king that had come, I don't know about you, but if a guy comes to my house and says, I'm taking your wife, your children, all of your money, your cars, and everything you have, and then I'm going to go over to your grandchildren or whatever, and I'm going to take everything they got, let me tell you what, there's going to be a war. I may physically die, but there's going to be a war. I am not giving up what I have worked for on this earth to the devil without a fight. Are you? I ain't giving it up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to walk in obedience to God's Word. And I'm telling you, if a man did those kind of things and there was a war, and we had a war, and then they come along, and we killed every soldier they had, and then the only thing left was this man that was going to kill me and my wife and my children and take everything I had, and now then he wants me to forgive him and build him up and send him back so he can continue to be king and restore a city to me? Forget it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wipe him out, and then I'm going to go back over and rebuild that city myself. You can't trust that guy. When that guy builds that thing back up, guess who's going to come back and get you again? That devil. That devil. So you've got to be very careful here. But look what happened because Ahab did this. He was disobedient. I will send you away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. Now then, let's see what happens here. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets. Oh, we had prophets back in those days. A certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor, In the word of the Lord, smite me, I pray thee, and the man refused to smite him. Now, when you first read that, you think, what does it mean to smite me? Hit me with a sword. A prophet comes up to a man, and he says, hit me with a sword. Cut me, afflict me, hit me. What would most people do? Oh, no way. 
That's exactly right. That's where most of us live today. If a real prophet of God, a man of God, come up and told you to do something that you didn't think was right, you'd say, no way, I'm not going to hit you. He said, I am a prophet from the Lord, and the Lord told me to tell you to smite me, hit me with a sword. And you say, no. Well, that's what this man did. And the man refused to smite him. Look at the consequence. Then said he unto him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you are departed from me, a lion shall slay you. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and killed him. Now, if a prophet of God walks up to you and says, I am a true man of God, you are to do this. You may not agree with it. You may, not, you may disagree with it. But if he really is a man of God and you know he's a man of God, at least think about what he said. If you know he's a man of God, now you've got to know. You know you've got to really be careful today. But see, back in this day, they had to be careful too. And so this first prophet come up to this man and said, take this sword and smite me with it, hit me with it. Now see, we don't understand what this is, what's going on right here in this scene. We don't understand why. But God's in this whole thing. And I want to show you and prove to you. I read this over and over and over. And I prayed over this over and over and over before this made sense to me. When it finally made sense to me, it was so clear. I thought, how could I have read that so many times before it made sense to me? Well, let me tell you. When you see these things, you, we, I don't understand the way God works. But his, the way he works is in this book. And he laid it out for us. Now, did, you saw what happened up above there, how Ahab was disobedient. You saw what would happen. And he didn't talk, the king didn't talk, the king of the universe didn't talk to Ahab. He went to a prophet. He told him what to do. Now that's amazing how God does those kind of things. Sometimes he'll tell you what he wants you to do, and sometimes he'll tell somebody else. And not necessarily does that person have to be a prophet. Sometimes God will just tell you what he wants done. Or he'll prepare you for something he's going to do. And I've heard that voice many times. I know how he does those kind of things. What a blessing to be able to hear from God. When he tells you something, what he tells you may not be what you expect or what you want. But if he told you and you knew it was God, you only got one alternative, and that's to be obedient. If you want to enjoy the benefits. Now look what happened here, because this man would not smote him. What happened to the man? A lion killed him. Did the prophet say that's what had happened? He did. Now how would you feel? If a prophet come up to you and says, hit me with this sword and cut me. You say, you crazy? I ain't about to cut you with that sword. He said, I'm a man of God. God told me to tell you to do this. Now you take this sword and you cut me. Make me look like I've been in battle. You said, I am not going to do it. He refused. And he said, look, I am a man of God. God told me to tell you to smite me with this sword and cut me so I'll look like I've been in battle. He's got something for me to do, and I can't do it unless you smite me with a sword. And the person says, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. Because you've been disobedient and disobeyed the word of the Lord, a lion, as soon as you depart from me, will jump upon you and kill you. Now, what would you think about that? This guy's crazy. He's crazy. 
You walk out the door, and there is a roaring lion, and the only thing you see is teeth and claws as he jumps on you and mauls you and kills you. What was it cost this man his life? Disobedience. That's right. Disobedience. And it was swift, wasn't it? Swift and sure. He didn't live, but just a very little while, and he was dead. Then look what, I can only imagine the rest of the people that were there that saw this event. So let's see what happened when he goes to the next one. Then he found another man and said, smite me. And the man smote him so that in smiting, he wounded him. Let me tell you, I'm, I may be a hard learner, but I'm telling you, if that prophet walked up and told me to do that, if he'd have walked up and told Fred to do that, and Fred said, no, I ain't about to cut you with that sword. He said, you don't cut me this sword. This is God. You ain't going to get out that door till a lion kills you. And Fred said, that's okay, I don't believe you. And he walks out that door and a lion jumps on him and rips him all to pieces. And he comes to me and says, now will you cut me that sword? Get ready. You're fixed to get cut. I mean, you, you see where I'm coming from? Would you do the same thing? I mean, if you'd seen Fred, I mean, because of his compassion for people. And he says, no, I am not going to cut you with that sword. And the guy told him, said, this is God. God told me to tell you to cut me with a sword. Hit me, smite me. Fred says, no, I'm not about to cut you with that sword. And he said, if you don't do that, and you walk out that door, a lion's going to jump up on you and kill you. Fred said, I don't believe that. And he walks out that door, and there is a roaring lion, a big monster. And he, we literally watch him shred Fred to death and kill him. I'm going to tell you what, when that guy turns around and says, now then, now then, Jan, now then, Jan, cut me with that sword. You're going to cut him, right? Hand me the sword. Guarantee. I mean, we're not that dense, are we? But see, this is what happens. Disobedience. And sometimes when God tells you to do something, it doesn't make any sense. But if God said do it, guess what? You better do it or there's going to be a consequence. Sometimes what He tells you will not be according to your own understanding. But you don't go there. If you know God told you to do something, you do it, or it could cost you your life, just like it did this man here. So the prophet departed and waited for the king. Now then, he's been cut. He looks like he's been in battle. They just had a war, just had a battle, and a lot of men were killed. A lot of men were injured. So the prophet departed and waited for the king, by the way, and he disguised himself with ashes upon his face. Isn't that amazing? And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king and he said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle. And the king looked over there and he's got ashes all over him. He's cut and he's beat up on. He looks like he's been out in the battle, don't you think? So see, this is what he was trying to get his attention. Went out into the midst of the battle and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, Keep this man. If by any means he is missing, then shall your life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as his servant was busy here and there, he was gone. In other words, that servant got busy, and he looked up, and the man he is supposed to keep was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be thyself, so shall your judgment be, Yourself or thyself has decided it. 
exactly what he said. And he hastened, and after, now then the king agreed with him. Now since this man had been disobedient, and he had not taken care of the man he's supposed to be watching over, the king Ahab had not done what he's supposed to be doing, and he had not killed King Benadad. He had let him go back and made a covenant with him. He was guilty. Isn't it amazing how God puts these little stories together? So to try to make it, you see what he's doing. And he says, and he hastened and took the ashes away. As soon as the prophet had heard what the king says, okay, if this is it, then that man has to suffer. You have to suffer. That's what is going to happen. Just exactly what you said, then that's it. It's done. So it says, he hastened and took the ashes away from his face. And the king of Israel discerned that he was one of the prophets. And the prophet said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of your hands a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. Is that a pretty serious judgment to be placed upon you for disobedience? Who was going to suffer just the king Ahab? Who else was going to have to pay the consequences? The children of Israel because of the king's disobedience. When you and I sin today, depending on the sin, usually the sin has far-reaching consequences. They usually don't just affect you. They usually affect many. And that's unfortunate. That's the way it is. But sometimes when we do things like this, we don't understand what God is doing. When we're standing for righteousness and holiness, you're on the right track at least. Do what the Lord says. Then he says here, And the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased, and came to Samaria. I mean, how would you feel if I just told you because of your disobedience it's going to cost you your life? But I didn't tell you when. Would you be happy? If I said, called your name, and I said, the Lord has showed me that you have been disobedient to do what He's told you to do. And because of your disobedience, it's not only going to cost you your life, but maybe in the meantime, it's going to bring sickness and disease upon you and your family. You wouldn't like that, would you? Does sin bring sickness and disease upon us? Absolutely. It's a fact. So the secret is obedience. Do what God says. If you read His Word and He tells you to do something, if you want to walk in divine health, you better obey what He says. Because guess who the one is that puts the curse from this Word? Who is it that speaks the curse? God. Who is it that speaks the blessing? God. And He's going to speak either the blessing or the curse upon you and I dependent upon what we do. Obey or disobey, it brings blessings or curses. 
After we go on down here, it says, and there, I'm going to show you another example here in the next chapter of Kings, chapter 21. And after this happened to Ahab, it says, and it came to pass that after these things, Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, right next to the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. Right next to the palace of Ahab. Now, Ahab's been in all kinds of trouble. He's done all kinds of things wrong. He has just won a tremendous battle. He's just had this problem with this king that's come, come, come over and take everything he's got, everything. And then the Lord blesses him when, when they ask. And he sends out a few lousy men. And these few thousand men wipe out 127,000 men. So we know that God had already told him, go out and I'll make you win the battle. So, now then, here's this man that's seen this and God's spoken to and all these wonderful things. So now he comes back over to the palace and he ain't got nothing to do. Everything's okay. They've won the battle. He's had this curse spoken upon him by the prophet because he disobeyed God. But now then he's sitting around the palace and he thinks, well, I'm, I'm going to walk around here and look at something. And, you know, I don't have nothing to do as a king. So he goes out and... Uh, he goes up here and he looks, sees this wonderful little vineyard that belongs to Naboth. A beautiful little vineyard right next to the palace out there. He says, wow. And Ahab spoke unto Naboth saying, give me the vineyard. That I may have it for a garden of herbs because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. So he's really wanting to buy it or trade it. Either way. Now, the man has a choice to make, doesn't he? Naboth can either say, Okay, king, if you want this, I'll take $100 for it in silver, and you can have it. Or the king says, I've got another one on down the road down here that's another five acres bigger than that one, and I'll give it to you, and it's a beautiful spot. But I want this one because it's close to the house. Now, he's, he's got a, a decision to make. He can either do that, or he can say no. So let's see what he did. And Naboth, verse 3, And Naboth said, Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it of me. In other words, God forbid, I'm not going to give it to you, that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto you. In other words, what he's trying to say, this has been in my family line for generations. I don't want to give it to you because it's sentimental to me. This piece of land is sentimental. And unfortunately, that we get in those kind of things. That, in other words, on this earth, when you die on this earth, what are you going to take with you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, we do let our sentimental values get too far gone sometimes. And if you don't believe that, when you drive down the road and you see a picture or a plaque on the back of a car, especially a nice, expensive new car, sometimes it's not even a nice new one, but you see a placard that says, if you touch my car, I have a Smith & Wesson under the seat. You know, they got a little bit too sentimental value on that car. Now, I was just telling Cheryl the other night, when I was a young man, I got my first car, really nice car in high school. I bought a two-year-old 53 Ford convertible. I mean, man, that's the nicest car. I had never had a nice car and when I got that, I'm telling you, I didn't want nobody to smoke in my car. I didn't want nobody to get in there with muddy feet. You know, that car became my God. I know none of you men ever had that problem besides me. 
Maybe some of you girls had that problem too. But so we let things become too sentimental to us and we put too much emphasis on things. Now this is what he had done here. And look what it cost Naboth. In verse 4, And Ahab came unto his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down upon his bed, turned his face into the, away from his face, and would not eat no bread. So he comes in. I can see the king now. He comes in grumbling all the way. Goes up to his bed, jumps into his bed. He's mumbling and grumbling. Turns his face to the wall and starts pouting. I mean, he's a king. Can you see this scene? Now, what a king. What a man. What a man. Hey, what a man. I know, but, I mean, men and women do these stupid things. We still do these things today. And you don't have to be a kid to do this. This guy was the king of Israel. You can be a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old. You can still do those same kind of things if you let yourself. Naboth did. I mean, Ahab did. And he would not eat. And look at this wife of his. Boy, if you talk about a woman, you don't want one like this, guys. Look diligently, but you don't want one like this one. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him. I'm going to tell you, I think Jezebel must have been a beautiful woman. I think she must have been some kind of a super beautiful woman. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is your spirit so sad that you eateth no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spoke unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and he said unto me, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you the vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Do you not govern the kingdom of Israel? Now, you talk about a woman that you don't want to be married to. This doesn't sound like the quiet, gentle, spirited woman God said that the men are supposed to be married to that are his sons. Does it? No. This is a woman that walked through this earth that knows what she wants. And she's going to get it. It makes no difference who's going to suffer. Look at what goes on. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat your bread, and let your heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. What? How's she going to give it to him? She don't own it. But she says, No problem. I'll give it to you. Get up and eat. So, she wrote letters in Ahab's name. And she sealed him with his seal. And she sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. Now, let me tell you, folks, when you read this government situation right here, I'm going to tell you government hadn't changed much today. We've had a few men and women in positions of power in this country and still are in places that's still doing these same things. In fact, only God knows, but right here in the city of Dallas a few years ago, we saw the results of what happened to a man that was not willing to do exactly what everybody else wanted him to do as he drove down the street down in Dallas in a car and somebody killed him. Everybody remembers that. Everybody remembers. 
I probably everybody remembers where you were when Kennedy was killed. I remember exactly the morning in the Chow Hall in South Korea, in South Japan. I was sitting there when they made an announcement over the PA system that President Kennedy has just been killed in Dallas, Texas. I remember that like it happened yesterday. Well, see, within the government, the same things is happening today because we've got people in power that's run by the devil instead of God. And let's keep going here and see what happened. After she wrote the letters, and she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast. That sounds good, doesn't it? Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. Lift him up. Man, I'm telling you, this sounds, I mean, this is exactly where he wanted to be. So they set him up on high, put him before all the people. And then she said, and then get two men, sons of Belial. In other words, sons of the devil. Get two men that are sons of the devil. Before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. So here he is at this party. They're having all this stuff. They're fasting. They're doing everything. And he's been set up on high. And all of a sudden, two men that are sons of the devil walk in and said, That's him. That's the man that just blasphemed God and the king. When you have two witnesses, what do you do? Two witnesses. Do you think they checked out the witnesses? No. The scripture said if you have two witnesses. So said two men, sons of the devil, before them to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. Sound like a really good woman, doesn't she? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be married to one like that, do you? I don't want to be married to a woman like that under no conditions. Unfortunately, there's too many of those kind of women in the world today. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them. Who do you think they thought they were dealing with? Jezebel or the king? They thought they were dealing with the king. It was his wife that was sending the letters. She was using his stamp and using his name. So they thought they were obeying the king, not this woman Jezebel. They did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. She did it. They did exactly. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people, and there came in two men, children of Belial, or the devil, and set before him and the men of Belial, witnessed against them, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. Doesn't seem like it'd be a consequence there. I mean, it's government. But let's see what happens. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive anymore, but he's dead. In other words, if you want something, somebody won't give it to you. You just kill them. Take them out. 
No consequences, especially if you're the king, right? Or if you're the king's wife, you can have whatever you want. You can write letters to the governors, the elders in the cities, and they have to obey the king, even if it's bad. Do we have those kind of situations still going on on the earth today? Oh, yeah, they're still going on. I mean, big stuff going on like that all over. If you don't do what I tell you, we won't give you your money for your highways. If you don't do what we tell you, we'll take away the money to your schools. Let me tell you, money is the hand that the devil holds over the head of people. You want to find out what you're made out of? Bring it down to money. You'll find out what you're made out of. Are you willing to share what you got, realizing it's all going to burn up tomorrow? It's just a piece of paper. Are you not going to share with nobody? You're going to hoard it all up. You're not going to share nothing with nobody. Do you know why so many men today refuse to marry women that they're living with? Because when they marry them, they got a covenant, a contract. And if they find out a year or two or five years later that all of a sudden this woman is not what they want anymore, they can't get rid of her easy. They have to divorce her and then she gets half of what they got. So they don't want to marry. Can you imagine a 25-year-old young man moving in with a 25-year-old girl and say, I love you with all my heart. I'll give you anything. And she moves in with him. And then three years later, he says, I don't like you no more. Get out. What can she do? Technically nothing if she's not married to him. But if she's married to him, it's going to be a little bit more of a problem. Isn't this amazing? And verse 16, And he came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Whoops, you mean God is still here? God was watching? He knew what was going on all the time? You mean he really watches that close, Dave? You think he does, huh? Let's see how close he was watching. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Verse 18, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth. Just thank God even knew where he was. You can't hide nothing from the king. So when you're in your palace or when you're in your house or when you're in your car, God has got the best guidance system there is. He knows exactly where you are all the time. Now, right now, the United States of America, they don't quite have that kind of information. But if you carry a cell phone, they know where you are. If you've got a cell phone, they can find you. They know exactly where you go, where you travel, and they can tell within feet. In fact, the other day, a guy that I worked with for years, I was talking with him, and he would bought a brand new car with everything on it, with a GPS system, the whole nine yards. And he got out, started to get out of the car. He stopped out somewhere to look at something. And he got out of the 
car, opened the car door to look at something, and the bells were all dinging, you know, because so he pulled the key out and slid it down on the console. And so finally he decides, well, I need to go look at that a little closer. So he gets out and thought, well, I'm going to walk over there. So he pushes the lock button and locks all the doors and pushes the door shut. Now the keys are laying there on the console. He's way out in the middle of nowhere. He goes up to look at whatever it was, a plaque or something he was reading. And then he starts back to the car and he says, Oh, my lands, the key's laying in there and I locked the door. And he thought, uh-oh. When I bought this car, they told me if I ever did this, I put this number in my phone. Let me call it. And he called that number and told him, said, I'm way out in West Texas in the middle of nowhere at so-and-so place. And he said, I have just locked my keys in my car. And they asked him for a code. He'd give it to him. And bam, all four doors of his car unlocked from a satellite. Isn't that amazing? What they can do. Do you think they knew where that car was? Close enough they could pinpoint it with a beam from a satellite and unlock the doors. Do you think they know where you are? Yeah. But that's nothing compared to the king. That's what I'm trying to say. The government almost knows where you are 24-7, but God knows exactly where you and me are, and He knows everything we say. Because look what Naboth did. And God tells the prophet where to go and even tells him where he is and what he's doing. So he knows everything. How can he do that? Because he's God. And he says, he's gone down to possess the vineyard. Verse 19, And you shall speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast you killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your blood, even thine blood. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know about killing, I don't know about having a wife, a listen to a wife, that would allow, that I would allow to write letters in my name somewhere to do something that was going to kill a man which cost him his life, and did Ahab, did that go without consequence? Who would have ever dreamed that it would cost Ahab this? If he thought that that letter his wife, Jezebel, would have wrote to those governors, that because they killed Naboth, because they said he blasphemed God and the king, because it was all a lie from the devil, these two men were from the devil. And since these two men are from the devil, now then can you trust everything everybody tells you? No, you cannot. This should make us very aware, even when we got two witnesses that walks up and said, I saw you do this, and I saw you do this, another walks in, and I saw you do this too. Don't believe it. Don't go out and start talking, because they may be from the devil. In fact, there may be five or six of them that says the same thing, and they may be all from the devil, and you better be careful what you do. Be careful who you listen to. But here, under the testimony of two witnesses that said that they had blasphemed God and the king, Naboth, which didn't do any of that, it cost him his life. And, of course, God knew the truth. And whenever Naboth was killed and then Ahab goes down, and he's not only killed him now, but now he's going to take possession. He's going to steal his property. I mean, after all. I mean, you know, he did blaspheme God and me, the king, right? 
So, I mean, so we kill him, so why shouldn't I just get his property? You know, somebody's got to have that property. He don't need it no more, does he, Fred? No. But he doesn't know the consequence that's going to fall upon him. Look what happened. Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your blood, even yours. And Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O mine enemy? See, he thought Elijah was his enemy. And he answered, I have found you. Because you have sold yourself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. What had Naboth done? Sold himself to who? The devil. Do you want to sell yourself to the devil and do some things bad? If you do, what's going to be the consequences? Who knows? They'll be severe. Were they going to be severe on him? Again, we don't know when it's going to happen, though, do we? He hadn't told us. In other words, it's kind of like saying, you know, I'm going to kill you, but you won't know when. You talk about making you live in fear. Every time you turn around the corner thinking somebody's going to be there to kill you. That could drive you bananas. If you know there's a hit. If, I ever, if you knew today that somebody had put a contract out on you for your life, could you go home comfortable and easy? No. If you knew somebody was waiting somewhere, you, they'd called you and said, we have put a man on your tail to kill you. So I ain't done nothing. Said so that's okay. I just don't like you. So I have put a man to kill you. And he will do that in the future. I don't know about you, but I couldn't be comfortable anywhere. Could you, Sharon? I'd be watching. But this is exactly what happened to this guy. And look what else he said. Verse 21, Behold, I will bring evil upon you, and I will take away your posterity, and I will cut off from Ahab him that... Pa- well, now that, <clears throat> I almost said that word. I'm not going to read that out of the King James. I don't like that word in the King James, so I'm not going to say it. So what he's talking about, I'm going to cut off from you from all men. That's what he's saying there. When you read that, I want to cut off all men, because women can't do that. But he's talking about men. He said, I'm going to cut off, I'm going to cut off from Ahab all the men and him that is shut up and left in Israel. In other words, the bond and the free. I'm going to cut off everybody from you is what he's trying to say there. I'm going to cut off every man from you because of what you did. And then I'm going to make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasher the son of Ahadjah, for the provocation wherein thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. You have provoked me to anger. What happens whenever you tick off the king? I don't like to tick him off. Do you, Dave? No, sir. Can you provoke the king? Did Ahab provoke the king? Did the king retaliate? Yes, he did. And he spoke to the prophet and said, the dogs are going to lick up your blood because you did what you did. That's kind of scary, isn't it? You want to know why some people can't get healed? They've committed some kind of a sin. 
that they've never changed. But God is so merciful. This is what gets me. I am so glad he is, though. And, and not only has he provoked me to anger, but you have made Israel to sin. How did he make Israel sin? What did they do? What did the governors and administrators and the mayors and so forth in that city that was over Naboth, what did they do? They killed him. They killed an innocent man. So if the government killed an innocent man, Israel was guilty of sin. So Israel had sinned. Then he says, and of Jezebel, uh-oh, she's not going to get away either. And of Jezebel also speak the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs are going to eat her because of what she done. Ladies, don't write a letter provoking somebody to do devastating things unless you want the dogs to eat you. I mean, that's what he said, wasn't it, Dick? I mean, I'm only quoting what God said in His Word. I mean, if, if, if God says, I'm going to send the dogs to eat you because of what you've done, is there any hope for Jezebel? Oh, it's over. Do we know when it's going to happen? No, but he has been told. And can you imagine what Ahab says when he comes back and he says, Well, woman, you've really got us both in trouble. I can imagine the fight that went on in the castle that night, can't you? Now, this weak, whimsical Jezebel, I mean, no, she's strong. He is a weak, whimsical king. But I can see him out running into her and said, Woman, look what you've done. Yes, you did give me the vineyard, and I got it. But the prophet come by, and I got this thing, and I can't enjoy it because he said, The dogs are going to lick up my blood. And I'm going to die and I'm not going to be around long enough to enjoy this vineyard. And she said, well, that's your problem. He said, yeah, and that's not where he stopped. He said, the dogs are going to eat you. Can you only imagine this scene in the palace that night? I bet it wasn't good, don't you? Does sin have a consequence? Absolutely, sin has a consequence. Devastating consequences. Verse 24. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls or the vultures of the air eat. Wow. Everybody's going to have to pay the consequence because of Israel's sin. It's, it's amazing what sin does. And who started this whole thing? Okay, absolutely Ahab started because he wanted this little, you know, he's the one who went down and throwed the hissy fit. And he went down, he's the one come in kicking, turned his face to the wall, started pouting and everything. His wife said, get up over your back, come in here and sit down and eat. What's your problem? And then he's just complaining and mumbling and grumbling. She said, my goodness gracious, if all you want that stupid little vineyard, I'll get it for you. No big deal. I'm a woman and I get what I want from who I want it. Is there a consequence? There was in this case, wasn't there? It's going to cost Ahab his life, and it's going to cost her her life. And not just die and bury her. When she dies, 
the dogs are going to attack her and tear her apart and eat her right in front of everybody. Can you imagine that? I really can't. I can only imagine a pack of wolves. I can only imagine a woman, a beautiful woman, falling off of a, a wall down to the ground onto the rocks and being killed. And all of a sudden, all the dogs in the community run over and begin to just fight over and tear her apart in pieces and eat her like she's just a, a piece of flesh. Somebody throw like it like a bunch of wolves and stuff down there and you throw a, you're up on the wall and you throw a great big chunk of meat out there. They come tear it apart and rip it up. That's what they did to her. What a scene. What caused all that? Sin. Sin. What is God trying to tell us in here? Don't sin. Now, there's little sins and big sins. But these evidently were pretty big. So they cost a whole lot of people their lives. But there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. How would you like to have that written in the Word of God about you? There was none so wicked as you. I don't want to be remembered like that, do you, Fred? No. No. I mean, this guy sold out to the devil. At least it says... There was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, which Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. I mean, it's all in there, isn't it? That woman. Guys, be careful of your woman. If you're not a married man, be sure that you pray and ask God to give you the right one because you don't want the wrong one. If you get a Jezebel... You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Now then, is it possible for the sins of your wife to cost you your life? Did it here? It sure did. That can still happen today. And it has happened. I've experienced that with many people in my life. And he did very admirably in following idols... According to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard these words, those words, that he rent his clothes and he put sackcloth upon his flesh. Now the next few lines, this just blows me away. After Ahab heard all these things, he put sackcloth upon his flesh and he fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went softly. This is one time I think God, I don't know, He's God. He can do anything He can do, but I think He did this wrong. (laughs) And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, You talk about a merciful God. Look at this. Seest thou how Ahab humbled himself? What? This guy? He's going to humble himself before me because he humbleth himself before me. I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. 
Does that seem fair to the poor boy? I don't know about you, but that don't seem fair to me. Does the consequence of the father bring devastating things upon the children? Yes. And the things you're suffering may not have been because of your sin. They may be because of your parents' or your grandparents' sin. I mean, technically speaking, the way I look at that in the flesh, one of those two people humbled himself before God, and it didn't come to pass what God said. And which of the two humbled himself, Ahab or Jezebel? Ahab, the king. When he humbled himself, and fell in sackcloth and ashes and fasting and repentance before God. You talk about a merciful God. You know, if I'd have been God, I'd have said, No, what you did, bam, you're out of here. I'm killing you. Aren't you glad I'm not God? I'm glad I'm not too. I mean, what would you have done, brother? I mean, you talk about a merciful God. Is this Scripture showing us how merciful He is? But... The consequence of the sin has got to wind up on somebody. And at that time, Jesus hadn't come. So the consequence had to be poured out on a later generation. And so who was going to suffer that devastating thing? Ahab's son. That don't sound fair, does it, Fred? But God does things. And when he does them, he puts them in his book to give us a living example of how he operates. So when you sin today, you can be assured that your sin is going to find you out. Did God know where Naboth was and what he was doing and where he went and everything? He told the prophet Naboth down to possess and to steal the vineyard after he's killed Naboth. Go down there and tell him. This is a word I have for him. Let's say that you sin. Let's say you say, well, I, gee, I'm a Christian and I've been doing this for five years and nothing's happened to me. Don't start boasting. Because guess what? Guess who's watching your sin? God, the Lord. If you've been sinning for five years and you're still healthy, guess what you need to do? You need to repent. You need to fall on your face before God. Humble yourself and stop your wicked ways and come back and trust that he'll do the same thing for you he did for Ahab. And then, of course, your children won't have to suffer the consequence if you'll straighten your act up and you'll share with your children. They, when they come to Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior, Jesus paid the price for that sin. And so they won't have to pay it. But what if they don't know that? You may have to suffer the price. Now, today we've only got halfway through what I want to get through. And it's ten minutes to four and it's time for communion. But next week I want to finish this and I want to go on into chapter 22 and I want to show you what happens, some more things that's going to happen. But today, this to me, after I had to read this, I don't know, I hope you're not as dense as I am. But God took me to chapter 20, 21, and 22 of Kings the other night. He opened that up to me, and he showed that to me and said, read that. Well, I read it, and I said, okay, God, what am I supposed to do with that? And he said, you didn't get it. Read it again. 
So, okay, God, I'll read it again. After I read it about ten times, I began to begin to get little pieces. Then I began to read it in other translations. I began to read it in the, in the Hebrew and everything else. And finally, he said, this is what you're to tell my people. There is a consequence for sin. And I want to show you some things that's going to happen. And I want to show you how I deal with things. And as I continued to read the next few chapters, I got tremendous revelation. And I'll share those with you next week as we start in chapter 22 next week. There's some great, great things that God has shown me in that next chapter. Right now, we're going to take communion. I want uh, whoever's going to pass that out, uh, Dave and whoever. Y'all start today is communion. We're going to, if you want to play softly, Dick, you can play. Uh, but we're going, to, we're going to take communion. I want you to realize that we're going to take the bread and the wine. And if you've got any kind of unconfessed sin in your life, if you're a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus, we want you to take communion with us. All brothers and sisters in Christ. But when you take it, I want, to, I want you to make sure that you have every sin in your life repented of and confessed. Don't take this knowing that you have a sin in your life. Before you take this, if you've got any kind of sin, any kind of unforgiveness, or anything, for goodness sakes, come to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you of your sin, repent of the sin, and tell Him, Lord, you help me this week as I go forth. I will not sin that way again. Now, how many of us sin? All of us, unfortunately, too much. Every one of us. But when we do sin, praise the Lord for Jesus. We can come and repent, and the Lord will forgive us, and He'll give us a fresh start. I am certainly glad I live on this side of the cross. If I had been back over there where Ahab and Jezebel was, on that side of the cross, I would have been just like most of you. Unfortunately, most of us would have already been dead. Nearly every one of us have committed enough sins in our life, sins that the penalty under the old law was death. Many different things you did. Just like blasphemy. When two witnesses walked in and said, this man blasphemed God and the king. There was no questions asked. They just stoned him. Stoned him and killed him. That was one of the sins that required stoning until dead. Blaspheming God. How many people do you hear today that use the word GD or Jesus Christ that don't even have a clue who he is? Walk into a group of contractors and you hear Jesus' name more than you do in church. But it's taken in a wrong context. If those men had lived under the law, every time one of those men takes God's name in vain, the punishment for taking that name in vain was death. The Israelite people were so afraid they wouldn't even use the word God. They would spell it and then leave out the middle letter. You know, it's amazing. They were afraid of God. Well, let me tell you, there needs to be more of us today to be afraid of the king. He is a wonderful, mighty God. He does answer our prayers. And you think, 
if this God that we serve is so merciful that he could take a man that had just listened to his wife, had done everything wrong, and killed a man and installed a man's possession when he came in and fell on his knees in confession and humbled himself before God, and God can forgive him today on this side of the cross, what can he forgive us for? Anything we can ask him for. And I'm glad. I'm glad for this bread and this juice that we take as a symbol of the broken body of our Savior. Now this bread represents the pierced, striped, beaten body of the King of the universe, Jesus Christ, that came here as a man and he was beaten and bruised on that cross so that you and I could be healed. He forgave all of our sins. He healed all of our diseases on the cross. And today, because of the blood of Jesus, His mercy is so great, He literally has healed every human being on the face of the earth 2,000 years ago. But I didn't know that most of my life. And so that's why I walked in sickness and disease the first two-thirds of my life. But when I got a hold of that and received Jesus as my healer, from that day to this, well over 20 years into the future, I have never had another sick day. I got a hold of something by faith that I had no idea was mine. But because of the blood of Jesus, because of the body of Jesus, He healed me. He healed you. By His stripes, you were healed. Matthew eight seventeen. He removed our sickness and our disease. And 1 Peter 2, 24, by His stripes we are healed. If we are, then let's don't give place to the devil. If we walk holy before God, there will be no curse pronounced upon you. And by faith, if you'll learn how to talk, you can walk in divine health. I've had the privilege to experience that for over 20 years now. What a privilege. What a privilege. And you can do the same thing. But because of the blood... The blood that we're fixing to take, He also washed all of your sins regardless of how wicked you were. Regardless of how wicked you were. Roy, as wicked as me and you were, He washed our sins away, didn't He? Cleansed them. It didn't make any difference what we had done. The blood of Jesus, when we come to Him, He washed that slate clean and you, you were made just as if you had never sinned. And for me, that's incomprehensible to think that He could take us regardless of how wicked we were. And we come to Jesus and take that blood and He washes us clean. He said, now then go and sin no more. And if you do, you won't ever give place to my enemy, the devil. But it's a shame that I give place far too many times to the devil in my life. But every day I'm getting stronger in the Word. Every day. And the more I study the Word of God, the stronger I get. And it works the same for you too, doesn't it? So when you get a hold of that, you realize that because of this mighty bread, he says, he that does not eat my flesh and drink my blood has nothing in me. Well, I don't want to be disobedient to the king. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so grateful for this piece of bread that I look at it, it's striped, it's pierced. It's a symbol of the body that Jesus had on this earth that paid the price for our healing. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
and the blood. The most powerful thing in the universe. If it can wash away my sins and your sins and make you and I as if we had never sinned in our life, that's got to be some kind of powerful blood. But that's what He did. It washed away our sins and made us the righteousness of God in Christ. You are righteous as God Himself because of what He did for you and me. We need to see ourselves like that and we need to start acting like that. And it did it everything Himself. All we do is receive it all by faith and it becomes ours. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son that He went through the devastating things He did on this earth so that we could have what we have today as your children. All things are ours because of what He did. All we got to do is believe and receive. And we praise you and thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name. It all depends entirely on where you're living. You know, it depends on whether you're living under the law or you're living under faith. Now then, that's the secret that gets you. Where are you living today? Are you living under the law? Are you bound by the law? Are you believing God's Word when He says you have freedom in Christ? You have freedom in Christ. I mean, if I come to your house or if you invited me to your house and you had a big, beautiful Christmas tree there with lights on it and everything, I'd say, isn't the king of the universe that made that wonderful? He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He made that tree. In fact, he made everything. You know, he is the owner of the world. He made it. It belongs to him. And he gave it to us. And he gave it to us to enjoy. And he told us exactly what to do and he told us what not to do. And it's unfortunate most of us have never read the owner's manual. You know, so <clears throat> when I, I mean, I read it, but I still didn't understand the battle that was going on. But when I began to read this owner's manual and understand this battle that was going on, I realized that everything written in this Old Testament was examples of what would, I guess the word I've used, tick God off. The Word of God calls it bring His wrath up, His anger. And people say, well, you know, you can't make God angry. Well, let me tell you, you're not reading the same book I'm reading. The book I read clearly says you can make Him angry. Since He give us the same attributes He had, can you be made angry? Yes, you can be made angry. If, if you ever find me a man that's, or a woman, either one, said they've never been made angry, I need to talk to them. Because they, they've... I mean, you, I have seen children that were little tiny things. And just like my brand new little grandson now that's not but about nine or ten months old, he's already walking a little. And there's another, uh, my daughter-in-law keeps her sister's baby too, which is about three months younger, and she's crawling. But you don't have to teach them how to fight. They already know how. <laughs> I mean, nine, ten months old and seven months old, and I guarantee when she's playing with something, he wants it, you know. He didn't want it till she's playing with it. And the war is on. And you think they don't get angry? Yes, they get angry. Let me tell you, that's something God put in us. 
You know, we have to learn how to control that. But can you make God angry? Yes, you can make him angry. And when you make him angry, you're not going to like the results. Because we, we, last week and this week, we've been talking about some of the Old Testament things. Now, this next week, we're going to be in the New Testament for Christmas. But this week, I'm going to finish up, I hope, I'm going to finish up what showing you what makes God angry and what he does and what he will do. And, of course, the mercy of God is beyond my wildest dreams. You know, but I'm grateful for that mercy, and I'm grateful especially that we live on this side of the cross, because if we don't live under the other side of the cross, which we're talking about, and we were not free, you're not free, and this this is the part that you have to get into your spirit. I don't know how many times I read this. It's like Fred said a while ago. Maybe I was the only one that didn't get this. Well, I got news for him. He wasn't the only one that didn't get it. It was at least two of us here that didn't get it. He didn't get it, and I didn't get it. But I think that every one of us are there. And I know that's what's wrong with the church today because we read this book and we don't believe what it says. It is too good to be true today for us living under faith. In other words, if you take a simple statement like Peter told us, according to God's divine power, he has given us, the church, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. What did he give us? All things that pertain to life and godliness. So when we go begging and pleading for God to give us something, he said, children, read my will. My last will and testament, I've already done that for you. Lord, will you please heal me? He said, no, I've already done it for you. Take away from the devil what belongs to you, and it's already yours. Boy, I didn't know that for a long, long time. But when I finally realized I have to take away from the enemy by force with the Word of God to walk in divine health. When that beast comes up on me to make me sick or afflict me, I have to take God's Word because I realize He said, I have given you all things, according to Second Peter chapter 1, I have given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And by these great and precious promises, that I've given to you, you shall become partakers of my divine nature. That's written in First, Second Peter chapter 1. Now then, if we, by these great and awesome, awesome, precious promises, can become partakers of the divine nature of God, and all these mighty promises, like Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power. I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. This is, it's such an awesome scripture. I don't know how many times I read that and I thought, this can't be true. You know, this is too good to be true. Jesus is talking, Behold, I give unto you power, or I give unto you authority to trample on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And that's an awesome statement, isn't it, Fred? I mean, you read that and you think, that can't be true. Oh, but you know why it can't be true? Because let me explain something to you. When Jesus' own disciples asked him in Matthew 17, Lord, why could we not cast this devil out? He said, because of your unbelief. Your unbelief. 
When you step into the realms of faith, the next statement, he says, if you have faith and doubt not, he said, nothing shall be impossible with you. Nothing. Now, on this side of the cross, and that's what Jesus is, that's what Christmas is all about. Now, we don't know if Jesus was born on New Year's, I mean, on September, I mean, December the 25th. We really don't know when he was born. But one thing we do know, he was born. He did come. And he did live. And we do know when he died and arose, but we don't know when he came, but you got to pick someday. So, the 25th of December is okay with me. Some people say, well, I'm not going to celebrate Christmas because I don't know when he was born. Okay, then celebrate him every day. And then you can't go wrong. Celebrate the coming of Christ every day of your life. Every morning when you wake up, praise him and thank him. Lord, I'm grateful that you were born and maybe it was on this day you were born. But it doesn't make any difference to me, Jesus, what day you were born. I know you came. And I don't care what the world may say. I know you live because you live in me and you talk to me on a regular basis. I know that you live. And I know that you're the one that does all these miracles and all these healings and everything else. It's certainly not me, but it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, that's doing it. So I'm grateful. So the average Christian today does not know the Word of God. They don't read it. They don't believe it. I mean, I read it. I studied it. I taught it in a Baptist church for years, but I didn't, didn't believe what I taught. And you know, when one day when you're teaching these things and you're making these statements, and all of a sudden you're praying and asking God for something, and He speaks to you and says, Son, you don't believe your own preaching. I said, What? He said, You just taught that in a Bible study class. Did you not believe what I said? I said, well, of course I did. He said, well, then why don't you act on it? Behold, I give into you power to cast out devils, to lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. What is it we don't understand about that? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think I could do that. Okay, you're right. You don't think you can't do that? It won't work for you. He said, you have to believe with no doubt in your heart. I mean, just like I told a lady the other day, I said, I prayed over somebody and a scar come off. And she just done a double backflip and jumped back. And she said, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe you can pray over somebody and a scar come off. I said, ma'am, your Jesus is in a little bitty box. He's kind of like mine was just a few years ago. I said, what do you do with a promise like Matthew 18, 19, where Jesus said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. I said, what do you do with that? Well, yeah, but. I said, no, 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 no. Let's go, don't go rationalizing this thing now. Let's don't go thinking like man. Let's think like God. If God said I can do this, then I can do it. But now see, the separation point was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago when the king came to this earth, he defeated the devil. And on this side of the cross, he gave you and me all power and all authority. And we come to Christmas worshiping a little kid in a manger. Let me tell you, he didn't stay in that manger just a few hours. He's out of that thing. He's walking shortly thereafter. And today, he's not in that manger. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods. And he lives in you and me. And he's bold and forceful. And he wants to do something mighty to let the world know he's alive today. And this woman that I told her, I prayed over the young boy and the scars and the warts and everything came off. And then I said, you know, she said, I can't believe that. I said, ma'am, I prayed over lots of people with scars and seen them go away. What is it that makes it so difficult for us to believe if Jesus said in John 14, 13, ask the Father in my name anything and I'll do it for you. What is it we don't understand about that? Well, let me tell you what it is we don't understand about it. 
that demon of unbelief. I have been studying in the Word of God about these, what people call multiple personalities, schizophrenia. And I'm going to tell you what, and I don't want to offend you, but I'm going to tell you every human being, including me, that I ever met has a multiple personality. And every human being has a portion of the schizophrenic demon. If you and I did not have those demonic spirits either impacting us from either within or from without, one of the two, if we didn't have those, we could believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and when he made us a promise in his word, we would stand on it and quote it, and it would happen just like that every time. But because the devil has done such a number on you and me, to get us into a place where we don't see God as God, we see him as a little tiny child or a doll laying in a manger. And when you see Jesus as that little child laying in that manger, that's just the beginning point of the king. He didn't stay there very long. He grew up, and he walked holy, totally perfectly. And all he did was study the scriptures Day and night. And then as he got to be a grown boy, when he was 12 years old, he blew away the doctors of theologies in the temple with his answers. You don't get there without spending some time in the Word. you know that? Do you know he wasn't born with the Word in him? He had to study it. He had to memorize it. I believe with all my heart when most Jewish young men are supposed to memorize by the time they're 12 the first five books of the law, the Torah, I think Jesus had that thing completely committed to memory. That's why every time the devil would come to him, he'd say, Satan, it is written. And that's what, that's what we fail as Christians. When the devil comes at us and attacks us with whatever it is, you know what we do? We fall apart. We fail to look at the point, like the young lady that was here the other day, I don't even remember who she was the other night. She may be here today. If she is, well, she can raise her hand or something. But she was sitting right back there in the Bible study the other night. And she said, when I started the opening prayer for Bible study on Tuesday night, she said, Lord, I've had this pain in my neck for over two weeks. And she said, you know, she's heard me say that no curse comes upon you undeserved. The devil can't just come by your, oh, are you here? Oh, there it is. Okay, there she is back there. She knew that the devil couldn't just put something on her automatically, so she asked a, 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 a statement to the king, which is a very dangerous thing to ask. What have I done wrong, Lord? Why is this pain in my neck for the last couple of weeks? And the Lord laid on her heart right then because of her grumbling. Now, I know none of y'all never do that, do you? None of y'all ever grumble about nothing. But see, she had let the devil get through to her the last couple of weeks instead of praising God for everything that happened. She grumbled about everything that happened. If I tell this story right, uh, if I'm not, well, you can, you can. It's pretty close to right so far, isn't it? So she said as she realized when the Lord revealed to her that her grumbling was what had opened the door to the devil, she immediately repented. Now, what could she have done different than that? That's the best thing you can do when you realize that you've done something wrong is to repent and say, Lord, I'm not going to grumble no more. I ask you to forgive me, and from this day forth, I'm going to praise you. And she's doing all this silently with God while I'm opening at a prayer 
an opening prayer for a Bible study, and before I get the prayer done, she's already healed. The pain's gone away. And so she sits there for two hours and listens to me teach the Word of God. And when it's over, I said, is there any statements to make? She jumps up and she said, I've got to give a testimony or I'm going to bust. <laughs> I, be, I believe that was her exact words. And I said, okay, young lady, what's your problem? And she said, I, she told us what happened. And she was so thankful that she had learned that grumbling and complaining opens a door to a demon. If Jesus says, I don't like grumbling and complaining, then what do you think? If he don't like it, there's going to be a consequence if you do it. Now, see, we don't believe the Word. We don't believe that our sin or our disagreement with the Word will bring the devil into our life and cause allow him to put things like a pain in our neck. Who would ever dream that that grumbling would allow the devil to put a pain in your neck? Why do you think that pain might have been in her neck? Where's most of your grumbling come from? Right along here somewhere? Y'all know where I'm coming from? Isn't that amazing? Now, I mean, does anybody know a scripture in the New Testament where Jesus says he don't like murmurs and grumblers? You have any idea where that's found? Brittany, where's that found? Huh? In Hebrews. Does anybody know another place? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You think if God tells us he don't like murmurs and grumblers and complainers, you think maybe we ought to listen? Okay, so this week as we go out, instead of grumbling about the Christmas tree, grumbling about the ornaments that somebody put on there, grumbling about everything, praise him for making the tree. When you go into a house somewhere, God wants to say, Woo, don't Jesus do good work. Look at that beautiful tree he made. And somebody said, well, that's an imitation. Okay, well, then he made everything that you put the imitation stuff together. So praise God for that beautiful tree, Lord. Don't grumble and complain. And the reason I say that is whenever, when you get a hold of things like this, back under the curses, and when you start grumbling and complaining, you fall from grace, and you go back under the law, and I want you to read what the Lord... See, how many of you believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? So he never changed because that's written in Hebrews 13 eight, isn't it? So if he don't ever change, when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, you read this statement. When you get a hold of this, you won't never grumble again. When you get a hold of this statement, you will never grumble again. Now listen, this may not be written in your Bible... Or you may have read it like I did for many years in Deuteronomy 28, verse 47 and 48, and it didn't mean anything to me. But one day when I began to realize this book means exactly what it says to every human being on the earth. He has no favorites, does he, Brittany? As beautiful and as precious as Brittany is, she has no favorite in the kingdom. She's going to be held accountable just like all the rest of us. Right, girl? That's right. Unfortunately, makes no difference what you look like, whether you're tall, short, Fat, skinny, makes no difference. You're a child of God if you're a believer in Jesus. But he holds you accountable for his word. Look what happens in verse 47. Because you serveth not the Lord thy God with joyfulness. Now then, if he says, because you didn't serve me with joyfulness, then what should we do? Serve him joyfully. I don't care what happens. No grumbling and complaining. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things. Now, because you don't do that, you've got to read this, see, on the positive and the negative side. 
He's given us the negative side in this one. Sometimes he gives us the positive side. But on this side, he's given us the negative side. Because you didn't do these things. Well, what's going to be the consequence? Because I didn't do these things. Verse 48. Therefore shall you serve your enemies, which the Lord shall send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. That's kind of serious stuff, isn't it? That would make me want to drive down the road and say, throw up both hands, turn loose the steering wheel for a minute. Lord, thank you, right, Gene? Praise you, Lord. I want you to know I'm serving you joyfully today, Lord. I don't care what you heard anybody else say. I love you and praise you this morning. I ain't grumbling. I don't want, Lord, I'm grateful when I walk into a restaurant and they didn't get my, and just like the other morning, of course, this happened several weeks ago. I got up and we was going to have breakfast and I come in and we had two pieces of bread in the house and Cheryl cooked them that morning or put them in a toaster and somebody set the toaster up a little far and it kind of got a little dark. But she said, honey, I burned the toast. I looked at it and I said, that's exactly the way I like it, praise God. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I could have said, oh my goodness, can't you do any better than that? And the minute I did, I'm grumbling. And what does the king say he don't like about grumbling? He don't like it. So he could have said, okay, then get your own toast. He said, at least that will bring some nourishment to your body. If you don't like that, he said, go out and get your own. I said, okay, Lord, I'll just go get my own. I'll be like the guy, the two scientists that said, Lord, we don't need you anymore. We can clone a man now. We can do anything you can. He said, okay, no problem, guys. You don't upset me a bit. He said, we're going to go out here. We're going to show you. We're going to dip down in the earth and get a little dirt. We're going to make a man. He said, hold it, guys. I said, what do you mean? He said, that's my dirt. You make your own. Hey, now God, he's not concerned, is he? You get, you make your own. If you're going to make the man, you make your own dirt too. I made the dirt and I made the man. But now if you want to do what I do, you make your own dirt. See, now he's, he's not worried. He's not concerned, is he, Fred? If you can make the dirt out of nothing, baby, let me tell you, you got something going for you. I'll tell you for sure. But most of us don't, can't do that. So, if the king in this time of season that we're in, and we're supposed to be a joyful time, we're supposed to be worshiping and praising and thanking the king. Don't let the devil get you hung up on something as a Christian. Don't put up a Christmas tree. If you don't want to put up a Christmas tree, don't put up a Christmas tree. If you don't want to shop, don't go shopping. You know, I mean, just you're free to do whatever you want to do. Now, I'm not one to go out and buy a bunch of gifts for a bunch of people, spend a lot of money and buy things for people that they don't want or don't need. That's not me. I haven't done that for years. But I'm going to tell you one thing. In our house, in Cheryl and mine's house this year, our house is packed to the roof with gifts. I have never seen so many gifts, but guess who they're all for? Orphans. People have donated money. This is the third year Cheryl's done this. I made this very statement here in this church three years ago, and she picked up on it, and her and her daughter started that year three years ago to do a benefit for Christ Haven for the children, underprivileged children. And the first year, her and Christy raised $16,000. The second year, they raised $18,000. And I don't know, hadn't got that much yet this year, but we still got another week. But I will say that people have donated money. Uh, this ministry has donated to it and everything else. But many people have donated, and she has went out and bought gifts, and we have got gifts everywhere. You can't used to trail through the house. But you know, you know what I say? Praise God for the little bitty trail to walk through, Lord. Thank you. In fact, last night about uh, 
oh, I don't know, we, was, uh, we came in and I did some things, she did some things, and, and finally we're, we were getting, I said, well, I, I think I'm going to probably go to bed here, you know, about uh, 30 minutes from now, I'm going to read over this stuff in First Kings one more time. And she said, okay, so I'm going to continue wrapping presents here. And so said, what time do you think you're going to bed? I said, about 1. She said, okay, so about 1, I'm getting ready. She said, you're going to bed? I said, yeah, I'm going to bed. She said, okay. <clears throat> so she came in, and we went to bed together, and we lay there, and I went to sleep. And in about two hours or whatever it was, I happened to wake up and turn over, and I put my arm over there, and she wasn't there. You know what she was doing? And they're wrapping presents and putting bows on them for them kids. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, that girl's building her treasures in heaven, see? She's building her treasures in heaven. But she definitely wasn't grumbling and complaining. She was rejoicing for the privilege to be up until 3 o'clock in the morning wrapping presents for those kids. Now, that's a dedicated person. That's a dedicated person that'll do those kind of things. So whatever you do this Christmas, everything you do, don't get up and hung up on this nonsense of grumbling and complaining about things. Rejoice, the king has set you free. He's given you all things for life and godliness by what he did when he sent his son. He reconciled the world, you and me that was lost, to himself and give us freedom. We have freedom in Christ. I can go into a place and I can go in there and listen to him. In fact, the other night I, I was just amazed that Cheryl, we went to a restaurant and I'd had a little bite to eat and all of a sudden uh, there were some songs being played and sung and everything and I got up and walked up and my wife and I danced on the dance floor in a restaurant together for one song. And she's looking up at me as I'm looking at her telling her how much I love her. She said, I can just see it now. The pastor and his wife is dancing I said, well, hey, honey, we're free. We're free. I can dance with you if I want to. I'm free. You know, some people said, oh, my gosh, and you used to be a Baptist. Yeah, I was one of them hung up ones. I was one of them hung up ones that couldn't do nothing. I didn't have any idea what this book says. I didn't know, I, I didn't know I'd been healed on the cross 2,000 years ago. I didn't know I'd been reconciled to God 2,000 years ago. I didn't know I'd been made free. I didn't know I was living above the law. I didn't know none of those things. Although I read it, I didn't believe it. Why did I not believe it? Because of that demon of unbelief, that double-minded demon that the Lord talks about in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. If you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. You know how many people in the church today is double-minded and unstable in all their ways? 100%. Every one of us. Think about this. If we wasn't double-minded and unstable in the way we do things, if we didn't have this demon, Satan and his host, that's doing these things to us, that's putting this, what I call, and, and the doctors, the medical situations, calls this a schizophrenic demon. Or actually, they don't call it a demon. They call it schizophrenia. But it is a schizophrenic demon, or it's the double-minded demon, or it's the demon of multiple personalities. Because if you were a one person, if God... If you knew you were his child and God made you a promise like any one of the multitudes of these that are in here, if you believe them, if you believe that by the stripes of Jesus you were healed, if you really believe that and the devil tried to ever put anything upon you, sickness, and disease, you would not accept it at all. You just turn to the devil and say, devil, it's written right here in the book. Jesus bore my sickness, removed my disease. So if he bore it for me and he beat you and stripped you, then you ain't putting this sickness on me, you devil. 
in the name of Jesus, I ain't going to be sick. And you would refuse to be sick. But if the Lord says, my children, what I did for you on the cross, I came to die on the cross so you can die to sin and live unto righteousness. Now, you're dead to sin, so therein don't never sin again. You say, okay, Lord, we're never going to sin again. We're dead. How in? Just like Paul says, I am dead to sin. How in can I sin anymore? He says, you can't. So if we wasn't double-minded and unstable in all of our ways, when the devil come to us and said, oh, you unworthy critter, you, you're no good. Why don't you just do this? This is just a little sin. Just tell a little lie right here. It'll protect you. You say, no, you beast. I'm not about to do that. That would be a sin. And I'm dead to sin. I can't lie. But it's going to hurt you if you tell the truth. So I could care less. I'm telling the truth because I can't lie because a lie is not in me. You see where I'm coming from? But we're double-minded and unstable. And you want to know why I say this affects the whole church? Because I'm telling you, until I learned how to walk by faith, I had never met a human being on this earth in my entire life that knew what faith was. I had lived in a church, and I had known thousands of people. And I had never, until 20 years ago, I had never seen, or 25, whatever it was, never seen in church a direct answer to prayer. I had never seen anybody healed. I didn't even know. We don't even have enough faith to bring somebody down to pray for them for healing and expect it to happen. Like the young man the other day. And he may be here today and he may not. I couldn't tell you. I pray for so many people. A young man came down here the other, just a couple of Sundays ago and he had a problem with his pain and his shoulders and everything. And I told him, I said, Jesus, well, you got all your sins confessed. He said, yes. I reached up and laid my hand on it, rebuked that thing. I said, it's done. Guarantee it in Jesus' name. I said, now they start doing something you couldn't do. He looked at me and I said, do something, son. Move your arm. So he started moving his arm and he moved it a little bit and he says, there's no pain. I said, what did I tell you? The Jesus, the king that I served, made you a promise. And so he keeps looking for the pain. I finally told him, I said, stop looking for it. It ain't there. You, and then, of course, he choked up and couldn't talk for a few minutes. He's, tears come in his eyes. And I said, son, it's amazing what God will do for you, isn't it? Yes. Well, see, when we believe him, he does that for us every time. Now, which way do you like it? Do you like living with your back pain for 30 years, or do you like living without it for a year? Out. Out. <laughs> well, I could share and say something like that. She only lived with back pain for 30 years, and the last year she's been totally free. Totally free. But there's many people in here. The last year, this year for Christmas... In fact, it was right after Christmas last year, the first week in January, when you got miraculously healed of a 30-year back injury. It's pretty easy for you to praise the king all year, isn't it, Sharon? Amen. See, when Jesus does something wonderful for you, it's easy to praise him. Well, let me tell you, if you want to see him do something for you, what is the first thing it requires? Repent of your sins. Walk holy before God. And then you give no place to the devil. Don't be like the little lady back here that grumbled and complained for two weeks. Let me tell you, honey, since you got that revelation from God, you won't grumble and complain no more, will you? <laughs> it cha- Well, I say she won't, but you know that's not true either. You know, that's not true. You know, we can, we can for, in, a, in a month or two months or six months, we can forget. And one day we'll be brought back doing the same thing. If you're like me, you'll forget where you came from and it's amazing how the devil beats up on us like this. Well, this book, God give us this book as an example to tell us all these wonderful things 
what we should do, what we should not do, and the consequences if we don't. So I want us to turn over here then to Second or First Kings, and last week I'm going to recover, recoup just a little bit of last week's end of the message last week because I think that part in First Kings chapter 21 is so powerful for us today that we need to realize these things happen to us when we step from faith back into the law. And I think that's where most of the church is living because I lived under the law most of my life. That's why the devil had legal right to beat up on me. That's why I was down in my back and all the things and pneumonias and all the things that happened to me until I learned how to step into faith. When I learned how to step into faith, everything in my world changed. Everything. I mean, I can pray over anything and ask God for things, and he can do things for me today that's beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, it's awesome what you can do. But under the new covenant, when you step into faith, Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not, what can you do? All things. What kind of limitation is that from the king? And he done that because he came to this earth 2,000 years ago, we're celebrating his birth in a few days, whether it was when he was born or not. Who cares? We need to celebrate his birth every day of our life. Now, you don't need to go out and buy presents for somebody else every day of your life. You need to do something wonderful for Jesus. And that's what inspired Cheryl last year or three years ago to start doing something for those children at Christ Haven. Those children have had a tremendous Christmas the last three years that they wouldn't have had. Think, $16,000 worth of stuff, clothes, toys, everything. year before last, $18,000 last year, and this year we're hoping that it's going to be more than that. But it's already getting up there close. But a lot of people have given money to this, and she's out buying gifts. And I was just thinking when uh, uh, Miss Betty was telling me that I needed to be uh, there at the Methodist Church next Sunday morning at a certain time, and she was talking about where we had to walk to and Cheryl wearing high heels. And I talked about that. And she said, you know, there's not any way, any way I can go to that Bible study class with you next Sunday morning. I said, why? She said, that's the morning we got to get up, finish everything, haul 400 boxes of toys and clothes over to the place. And then at noon, we got to start and we got the thing for Christ Haven next Sunday afternoon. She said, I'm going to be a busy girl from early till late next Sunday. I said, I forgot about that. So let me tell you, she's going to be a busy girl next Sunday. But she won't be here either next Sunday. But it won't be because she's not doing something for Jesus. She'll be busy about the Lord's work. Next Sunday is when they give the children all the toys and the clothes and everything else. So she's going to be a busy girl all week this week. This week is going to be one of them weeks when I may on the fly say, "Mm, How you doing, honey? As I fly in and she flies out. That's about what it's going to be like. I can can already see that. This week is going to be a very skinny week at our house in times to touch your wife, you know. Might get to see her on the fly, you know, but that's about all, you know. How many of you guys and gals ever had a week like that when you just barely pass through your mate the whole week and you just barely see them? Well, that's the way this week's going to be with us all week because she's busy and I'm busy too. But I want to show you what's happened here in 1 Kings chapter 21. I'm going to recover a little bit here. I'm going to start with verse 22 in this and it says, I'm just going to read the last part there where the king Ahab, he, in the very last line, he says, Wherewith thou hast provoked me to angry and has made Israel sin. 
Now, what Ahab had done, Ahab and Jezebel had done, they had provoked God to anger. If they provoked him to anger, you think it's possible for you to provoke him to anger? Yes, it is. He's the same God. God can be made mad according to this. Anger. Don't make him mad. I mean, don't make him mad because look what happened when he did. And then let's go on down to verse 25 and let's see what Ahab had done. But there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. You need to be careful, men, who your wife is. If your wife is a type of wicked woman like Jezebel, or she's a woman that totally telling you what to do all the time, and you're listening to her, and the thing she tells you to do doesn't line up with the Word, and you're listening like Ahab did, and even to let his wife write a letter to cause an innocent man to be killed so you could have a piece of land, and then when you take possession of it, God was watching this entire scene from heaven. And he provoked him to anger. Provoked him to anger. Fred, you may have to go over and show him how to turn the air conditioner on if it's too warm. I don't know. <clears throat> but anyway. Anyway, as Ahab had sold himself to the devil. That's just what that's saying, right? Ahab sold himself to the devil. Do you think it's possible for a Christian today to sell themselves to the devil and do the devil's work? Absolutely can. Yes, you can. Now, you can do it for one of many reasons. You can do it on your own. You can listen to your husband. You can listen to your wife. You can listen to your children. You can do all kinds of things and sell yourself to the devil and go out and do the devil's work. And if you go out and do the devil's work, guess what you're going to do to God? There's going to be a time and point when you get to a certain place, you're going to make him mad. You're going to anger him. And look what happened. Whenever Jezebel and Ahab did all these things, and it says in verse 26, And he did very abominably in the following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard these words, now, of course, the Lord had told him what is going to happen. He said, you, you know, you're, the dogs are going to eat Jezebel by the wall, and everybody's going to die that's, you know, that works for you, They're going to, the dogs are going to eat them or the vultures are going to eat them in the fields. And he told all these bad things are going to happen because of his sin. Now, when Ahab got a hold of this, this is the part that really blew me away. When Ahab heard these words, that he tore his clothes and he put sackcloth upon his flesh and he fasted and lay in sackcloth and he went softly or walked softly before God. How many of you know if you sin and do something, it's a good thing to do what he just did? In other words, what do we call that in the New Testament? Repent. Is that true? That's what that's called, repent. Because he repented and fell in sackcloth and ashes. And the next, look at these next verses. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Now God spoke to Elijah the prophet and said, See thou how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but his son's days, and I will bring the evil upon his house. What had that daddy just done for his generations in the future? 
he had just cursed them because of his sin. Can you curse your children into the future because of your sin? Yes, you sure can. So what is the moral of this story? Don't sin. People say, I can't go through life without sinning. You're a liar. The Word of God says you are. The Word of God says we can go forth without sinning. Now then, if we sin, what can we do? Wait six months before we repent? If we do mess up, and it's unfortunate, most of us will, when we do sin, immediately we should do what Ahab did. Repent, humble ourselves before God and say, Lord, I'm stupid. I messed up. I lied, or I did this, or I done, I cheated somebody. I did, but Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. Forgive me. And what a God. I mean, if Ahab killed somebody and then stole their vineyard, and all he had to do was repent and God forgave him, and didn't bring the evil upon him, is, is that a merciful God? That's a little more than I can fathom. He's a whole lot more merciful than me and you are, Fred. You know it? A whole lot more merciful than you and I. The wind blowing my sheets here. So anyway, after, after this happened and they have done this, then I want to show you that there was peace in the land for a little while. Let's go to chapter 22. And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. Now Israel was the southern kingdom. That was the one that uh, uh, Ahab was king over. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, that's the little portion uh, up north, came down to the king of Israel. He came south, came down to Israel, and the, the two kings get together. Now, things happen when two kings get together and start talking. They ain't got nothing else to do but have board meetings, see. I mean, they're big. they got people doing all the work for them, so they're just sitting around talking about things. And the king of Israel, Ahab, said unto his servant, Know you that Ramoth Gilead is ours, and that we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria? Now, doesn't that sound just like a bunch of presidents and kings today? They're sitting around talking about, you know, we want Jerusalem. You know, that belongs to us. No, you had it for 2,500 years and you didn't do nothing with it. And so God finally, after 2,500 years, realized you wasn't going to do nothing with it until 50, 60 years ago. Whatever it was, he brought a little tiny group of people back in there and they have made that nation flourish. And now about half of Europe fed flowers and fruits and vegetables off of the little tiny nation of Israel. Some kind of change happened when God brought the children back into the land. But now then as soon as it became productive and started producing things, now then all these other guys want it. They didn't want it before when it was just a barren desert and there was nothing growing out there. They wasn't willing to go out there and put in water and wells and plant trees and all the stuff and make it productive. But once somebody did it for them and it became productive, now they want it. And so they've been fighting ever since. I wonder what kind of conversation that Arafat and Allah is having. Poor guy. That's all I got to say. Can't you? The devil deceived that man all of his life. He killed all them kids, all them people, did all those things, and then he died. And he reaped his reward. And according to the Word of God, you know where that guy's at today? He's in hell. He's burning in a flame of fire. Isn't that sad? Because Jesus died for him too, didn't he? Jesus paid the price for him except for the grace of God. That could have been you and me. You know that? 
except for the grace of God. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Joshua said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Now here's the thing that we don't do, but at least he was intelligent. Inquire, I pray thee, of the word of the Lord today. Shouldn't we ask God what we're going to do? How many Christians you know that go through every day, all year long, and plan their whole year and never ask God one time to show them what He wants them to do this year or bless what we're going to do this year? We just go do our own thing. Some of you may be sitting in here that did that last year. You go to work somewhere, you go look for a job, you say, Lord, is this where you want me to work? No, you don't thank God. You say, well, let me go out here and get me an education, go to school. I want to be this. So I'm going to go to school at this school, and I'm going to get my education, and then I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to do this. And God says, that's not what I want you to do, son. Well, that's okay, God. I didn't ask you. I want to do what I want to do. You'd be like that young man that was here at that time, and I don't, don't have a clue who he was either, and he may or may not be here today. I don't know. But one time... He said, the Lord was talking to me and told me he wanted me to be a preacher. He said, I told him, there ain't no way, God, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm not going to never work in the ministry. i got something else I want to do. So he said, God never said another word. He said, I heard him speak just as clear. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. He said, a year later, I am in a hospital. I forgot all about this. I'm in a hospital laying on my deathbed with a terminal illness. And I said, finally, I looked up and I said, God, why me? And he said, oh, have I got your attention yet? He said, what do you mean, God? He said, I told you a year ago I wanted you to preach. You said no. He said, now then you've got one last choice. You're going to preach or not? Yes, Lord. Yes, I'll preach. Oh, now that God's got your attention, you're laying on your deathbed and you can't even move a muscle, it's a little easier to say, I'll do what you say, Lord. And he said, in an hour I was well. I was well in an hour. But he was laying on his deathbed. Who's in control? You reckon the king's really in control? You reckon he can do anything he wants to? I think if he's got something for you to do and you don't want to do it, you know what he can just do? He can be merciful to you or he can take you out. It's all that simple. Now then, let's go ahead and read what happens here. At least one man is smart among this whole bunch. And he happens to be one of the kings. Don't you think we ought to ask God what we should do? I think that would be a good place to start for all of us. But in our government, we're getting to where we don't want nothing to do with God. We want to kick Him out of everything. We, we want to do everything ourselves. We wonder why we have all the problems we got. I have our answer right here. It's in the book. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. Now then, for your information... These prophets technically are heathen prophets. These are not truly men of God. They think they are. They think they are. About 400 of them. He had a lot of prophets, didn't he? And, I, and he said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hands of the king. Boy, don't you know that made him feel good? We can't lose, guys. And Jehoshaphat, he must have been a man of God. He said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord? Now, if we've got all these heathen prophets out here, 
Well, how about a man of God? You think that would make a difference? Well, we've got 400 prophets. They're all agreeing. It's good. Go. He said, now, wait a minute. You guys are a bunch of heathens. You know, why do you think he thought they might have been a bunch of heathens? You think they might have been down to the house of prostitution? He'd seen them down there, and they was, they was doing all those bad things. He thought, no, man of God, don't do that kind of stuff. You bunch of guys, you prophets are heathen prophets because you're down at the house of prostitutes. You're down there where the, where the prostitutes go down and bathe and you're watching them. You're carrying them home with you and you're doing all these kinds of things. I don't want you guys' information. I don't want your input. I want a man that's walking holy before God. I want to know what he's got to say. Now, that's where we should go. If you're looking for a prophet today, you need to be very careful who you listen to. Very careful who you listen to. A man says, I'm a prophet, do just exactly what I do. You listen to everything they say and you take every word every prophet says to you with a grain of salt. And then you wait. I will have to say, a year ago I was speaking at a full gospel businessmen's meeting. And I got through speaking and just as I did, a man right in the middle of the group stood up and pointed a finger at me. He said, sir... The Lord just told me to tell you that he's got a wife in the near future for you. I looked at him. I said, well, if he does, son, he's going to have to tell me. I took that with a grain of salt. My father's dream from my mind was ever being married again. I wasn't thinking about that. That wasn't any of my plans or nothing. So that guy stood up and told me that, he, that God had a wife in the near future for me. I said, okay, if he does, son, he'll have to tell me. I ain't going to go start looking for her. Now, some men would have said, oh, goodness, if God's got a wife for you, I guess I better start looking. And guess if he'd have started looking, guess what he'd have done? Now, he'd have found one, but it probably wouldn't have been the right one. He'd have found one. I guarantee there's one out there for you. Guarantee. And, in fact, almost, I don't know, you women may agree or disagree with me, but almost every man and every woman wants a mate. Almost every woman wants to be married, but every woman wants to be married to a good man. She wants to be married to a man that will love her and treat her like a lady. Every man wants a good woman that will love him and treat him like a gentleman. That's what we want, but unfortunately, there's not too many of either kind out there. So if you go looking for one, you're going to find the wrong one. So you, if you're going to get married, you do it like I did. You wait till God tells you her name and who she is. And then you ask her that night to marry you, and when she says yes, and then you hadn't even been on a date with her, then you know it was God, see? See? That's the way it happens. See? So that's, that's the way it happened to me and Cheryl. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here? He had 400, but one, none of them. And the king of Israel said unto him, Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imola, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Uh-oh, even he knew the truth. He knew there was only one man of God. But what? But I hate him. Is that what the word said? Somebody read that? But I hate him. He's a man of God, but I hate him. That's what the word says, isn't it? Is your Bible read just like mine? I hate him. Woo! That's not exactly what we're supposed to do to a man of God, but... Why? Let's find out why. But I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me. Uh-oh. In other words, he prophesies the truth, and he don't like it. When you start telling the truth, if you're a true man of God, you're going to get in trouble. 
Be ready for it. It's going to happen. I can't imagine that when Peter and John goes down there that day and there's a man 40 years old sitting there at the temple and never walked in his life and they say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked and they took those guys. They wanted to beat them, scold them, everything else for doing a miracle in the name of Jesus. And they commanded, don't you ever do this again. That tells you who's running them guys, doesn't it? The devil. See, that's the battle we're fighting on this earth. But this guy didn't want this prophet of God because he hated him because he never said anything good concerning him. Why? He told the truth. Sometimes we don't like the truth. And sometimes that's why people lie to you, because they know you'd rather hear a lie than the truth. But you, as a man or woman of God, you are commanded by the king to tell the truth. Now, you can do one of two things. You can either tell the truth or keep your mouth shut. One of the two. Sometimes it's best to just keep our mouth shut, isn't it? He always speaks evil of me. But Joseph said, well, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, hasten hither, go find Micah, the son of Imla. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, set each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Tanaka, he made him horns of iron. I can only see this thing. This guy out here, I can only see this guy with these horns of iron running around, you know, doing this. Running around. I can just see this scene. Here are these heathen prophets. And, all, and he says, uh, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. With thee shalt thou push the Syrians until you have consumed them. Don't you make that makes the king feel good? Sure, he loves this. And all the prophets prophesied so saying. 400 of these guys, they're all together. Goodness, we couldn't possibly be wrong if 400 people agreed and they're all prophets. Couldn't be wrong. That's why I'm telling you to be careful when somebody prophesies over you because right here, 400 men prophesied. We're going to see what happened. They said, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hands. And the messenger that was gone to call Micah spoke unto him saying, behold, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king of one mouth. In other words, all of them speaking the same thing. So let your word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them and speak that which is good in the sight of the king. And Micah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord said unto me, that will I speak. Now when the Lord speaks something to you, whether it hurts or whatever it does, you better do what the king says. But we're going to see what happened here. So he came to the king, and the king said, And Micah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered, he said, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. He's telling a lie too. Now why in the world would he do that? Yeah, he's telling a lie too. He was told to do that. And he, something further was in that, even though we're going to find out in a few minutes. But the king said, and how many times must I tell you that you should tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? Now, see, the king even knew he was lying, didn't he? If the king thought he was telling the truth, he had heard 400 men tell him what he wanted to hear. And when this guy tells him exactly what 400 men had, he knows there's something wrong. He knows that we've got 401 men telling him exactly the same thing. And he says, Micah, you're lying. Tell me the truth. What did the Lord tell you? 
Well, let's see what he says. And he said, I saw all Israel gathered up on the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord says, these have no master. Let them return every man to his own house in peace. Now think about that. You think God, you think God ever has a board meeting in heaven and requires information from other people? You don't think so? Let's see what the Word of God says. Next verse. Did I, in the rest of that verse, did I tell thee that the, he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. Now, this is Micah, the real man of God. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. What a scene. What a board meeting. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? This is a board meeting in heaven. And the Lord is requiring information from his men, his angels, his spirits. He's asking them what he should do. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. What are these? Who are these beings that's coming and giving him information? Spirits. Live spirits. In heaven. These are all spiritual beings before God, and we're having a board meeting in heaven. And God asked his men, what shall I do to get Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead to fall because of his sin? What shall I do? And one says this and another says that. And then there came a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. This sounds like a board meeting that I've had with a few men before asking questions about what we're going to do about a certain situation, doesn't it, Fred? And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? Or how, what, are you going, how, what are you going to do? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Is that what he said? I will go forth and I, this one spirit, I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all Ahab's prophets. And he said, the Lord says, you shall persuade him, and you shall prevail also. So go forth and do it. This is a board meeting in heaven. Does anybody else see this board meeting like I do? Do you see this scene going on in heaven? God's asking his spirits what he should do about a man on earth that has lived in sin. What can we do to cause this man to fall because of his sin? God's inquiring of his spirits, and they're giving him this answer and that answer, and they've got lots of answers. But one says, I know what to do. I can persuade him. I will go and become a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. 
And the Lord said, that'll work. Go forth and do so, and you shall prevail. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord had put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of thy prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil concerning thee. I've got, ladies and gentlemen, this is a board meeting in heaven. This is not something I've dreamed up. I read this over and over and over. When I read this, I went back and read this over and I thought, God, I've never seen this. I've never seen this board meeting. I never dreamed that you had to inquire of your spirits what to do to us on earth. But this is an example. He does require of his spirits what to do. And then when one of them comes up with a good answer, he said, that's a good one. You go and make that come to pass. Is that awesome, Fred, or is that awesome? Kind of scary, isn't it? Kind of scary. So when this one spirit came down and moved into the mouth of these 400 prophets, did all of them lie? Yes, they told him, but they told him what they thought. Now, as when Micah, even Micah lied at first, and then the Lord showed him a true vision, what it was really going to be. And so then he told him the truth. And it says there, but Zedekiah, the son of Chenetha, which is one of the prophets, he went near and he smote or slapped Micah in the cheek or in the face. Can you imagine this scene? That's a bunch of prophets. He's supposed to be men of God. You think we don't have these kind of problems in the church then? We still got them today. Here is a man that walks up one prophet to another one. Slaps him right in the face. And look what he says. And said... Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? In other words, I'm a man of God. You see a little pride in that? I'm a man of God. God's in me. If I spoke, it's true. Did that prophet think he was speaking the truth? Yeah, sure he did. He thought he'd heard from God. But he had a lying spirit in his mouth from the Lord. And why? So they would deceive Ahab. So Ahab would go out and do something which would fulfill the curse that was going to be put upon him so he would die for his sin. Consequences of sin are ever staggering. And Micah said, Behold, after this one guy comes up and slaps him in the face and tells, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. That's when you'll know. You think this man believed him? No. And the king of Israel said, now Ahab said this. He didn't like this prophecy. So Ahab, the king of Israel, said, take Micah and carry him back into Ammon and the governor of the city and to Joash, my son, and put him in jail and say, thus saith the king, put this fellow in prison. And feed him with the bread of affliction or with bread and water. And then only just enough to keep him alive. He don't like what this prophet said. When you tell what God said, sometimes you have to suffer some severe consequences. Put in prison. I ain't going to feed you with nothing but a little bit of bread and water. And then only just a barely enough to keep you alive. Until I come again. And Micah said, if you return at all. In peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hearken, O people, every one of you. In other words, he turned to the group and says, I have a word from God to you. Now, how do we know it's really from God? If we read it out of this book, it's from God. 
if somebody just says something you don't know. If a prophet comes up and speaks something to you, you be very careful what you listen to. Don't you dare jump off and do something. You know, I'm going to tell you that as much as I love this woman sitting up here on the front row with my wife, if a man that I didn't know that stood up and said, that woman right there is going to be your wife in six months, you know what I'd have believed? I would not have believed that. Because I don't know that man. And at that time, I didn't know this woman. I would have never walked up and said, if that man said, I'm supposed to marry you, I'm supposed to marry you. Will you marry me? I have seen people in charismatic churches do that. I've seen people, a prophet come up and say that, and I've seen those marriages turn out to be hell on earth because it was not from God. You be very careful when a prophet speaks to you today. Prophets hear from God. Some hear from God. You know how I can tell when a prophet hears from God? I can give you a perfect example of one right here that happened in this church. I was sitting right there in that chair one Sunday morning. And a prophet of God walked in and walked in that door and walked up and laid his hand on my shoulder. And he said, when he walked in the door, the Lord spoke to him and said, go up there and tell my servant Thurman, this is what I want him to preach on today. And, okay, Lord. He walked over and laid his hand on my shoulder. And when he laid his hand on my shoulder, the Lord said, that's okay, son. I'll tell him myself. So he said, okay, Lord. And I looked around to see who it was. And he said, hi, Thurman. I thought, well, he never comes in and does this, but he turned around and walked back out. I'm sitting there all of a sudden, and the Lord says, Son, I know you got your message ready today, but that's not what I want you to preach on. I want you to preach on this. I said, Lord, I'm not ready. I hadn't studied that. I, I got up out of my chair, walked up, picked up my Bible. I said, Lord, i got to have some scriptures to start on. He took me to three places in the Word of God. I made notes. I said, Okay, Lord, I got it. I can do it. So I laid my Bible down, come back down. I sat down. I got up and I said, you know, this is what the Lord wants me to go this way today. And I taught him. And when I got through, an hour and a half later, the man stood up and said, I got, all I got to say is that that man hears from God. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I walked in that door and God told me to tell him to speak on that subject. He said, I got to him and touched him. And the Lord said, that's okay, son. I'll tell him myself. And he said, so I just left and went and sat down. And he said, a few minutes later, when he got up and started preaching exactly on what God told me to tell him to preach on, I knew he heard from God. That was pretty awesome confirmation. That happened right here in this church. Now, I know that you think that man, as good a prophet as he, you think it's possible for him ever to be wrong? Yes, he could be wrong. He can miss God. You think it's possible for any one of us to miss God? Yes. That's why you have to be so careful. These 400 prophets missed God, and one of them was so mad the head... Whenever Micah told him what he did, he walked up right in the midst and slapped him in the face. You mean you're telling us 400 men that are prophesying the same thing and agreeing, and you're one loner, and you're telling us exactly 180 from what we're saying, and we're prophets of God, and we're hearing from God? What happened? What makes you think you're the only one who hears from God? And wham, slapped him in the face right in front of everybody. Isn't that amazing? kind of awesome when you really read this book close and talk about it, isn't it? Wow, it's kind of scary. And then, after we go there, after these things happen, so the king went out, and it says, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel, which they have said unto Jehoshaphat, you know, he's a little bit shaky right here. 
instead of wearing his royal robes into battle, he says, I'm going to disguise myself as a normal soldier. I, I mean, since that prophet, I realized we had 400 men told us this is going to be a good battle, we're going to win. But the true man of God told me, I was going to lose my life today. So he said, I don't want to wear my robes. I'm going to put on a regular soldier uniform that way. Nobody will know who I am. Does that show a little bit of fear? And he's already he's shaking in his boots. If you know Micah is a true man of God and he comes up and tells you something and it's 180 out from what 400 men that have told you and you know this man is a man of God and you know he's telling the truth, then you better do what that man says. And that's what happened here. But the king of Syria commanded his 32 captains that, that had rule over his chariots, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, but save only the king of Israel. Kill him. So their goal, all of his 32 groups of men, the head man in their chariots, they had one goal, and that was to kill the king of Israel. And that's Ahab. Why do you think they had such a driving desire to kill the king? Because he had come to the time in his life because of his sin, it was time for him to die. And when that time comes, you're in big trouble. Big trouble. Now look at what happens. And it came to pass when the captains of the church saw Jehoshaphat, and they said, Surely it is the king. And they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And, he, and after he cried out, said, I'm not the king of Israel. It came to pass... When the captains of the chariot, perceiving that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man, just a nobody, a certain man out there drew a bow and at a venture just, let me just shoot out here amongst them, Lord, turned the arrow loose. Wasn't him shooting at nobody. He just shot. There's men everywhere. So he just shot an arrow. And, the, and it hit the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Of all places, it had to be guided, guided divinely by a spirit to go precisely between the joints in his armor right into his body. If it had been an inch off, either way, it had hit the metal and deflected. Do you think God's not in control? You see where I'm coming from? He's in control. And if you have sinned a sin unto death, there ain't nothing can save you. Isn't that sad? And that confirms what the New Testament says even, doesn't it? So what is he trying to tell us as his children? Don't sin. Is that what he's trying to tell us, Fred? Straighten our stupid selves up and stop sinning. Don't take a chance. If you know you're stealing from your company this week, stop it and repent. If you know you're embezzling funds from who you're working for, stop it if you're a Christian. Because somewhere along the line, you're going to be found out. If you're running around on your mate just once in a while when you're out of town, stop it. You're going to be found out. I reread this morning that praise report from that pastor that took Cheryl and I to the airport when we was up in the Northeast. And his daughter was in rebellion. He had been saved 35 years and he had been a Christian. I'd been a pastor 18 years. 
And he heard me teach on the holiness and the requirements of it and how the sins of the fathers are passed to the children to the third and fourth generation. And he said, got before God and said, God, I have never promised you I would walk holy before you and strive to do that. So, Lord, I'm going to do that. I'm going to repent. And my goal now is to walk a perfect straight line before you. And the Lord spoke to him out of that. And as he started that, the next day after he made that declaration before God to repent and walk holy and to confess some sins he had committed that he had hidden from his wife for 14 months. He did something he didn't want her to know about. He said, I'll confess my sin to my wife. The next day, his daughter, his rebellious daughter, walked into him and his wife, repented, and come back home to Jesus. Daddy's walking in rebellion. He's a preacher. It caused his daughter to walk in rebellion. You think the sins of the parents are not passed to your children? There was nothing he could do but the day he made that declaration, God, I will walk holy before you. I can see the board meeting in heaven. The Lord said, oh, okay, men, what should we do to John Doe now? He's made a declaration to walk holy before me. He's one of my sons. One of them said, I know, you know, his daughter's been living in rebellion. I'll go now and convict her of sin because daddy has repented. And the next day, she walks in and repents and comes back to the Lord. You see this scene in heaven? <coughs> kind of awesome, isn't it, Fred? But it's up there, isn't it? The Word says it's up there. Now then, and the king, after the king was hit in that crack in his armor, at the, it's so awesome to think that an arrow just fired just accidentally or just fired amongst them. That arrow would hit it exactly the place. You couldn't have walked up that king. A guy couldn't have walked 20 feet away from him and pulled a bow and arrow and hit him in a vulnerable spot. But when God's directing that arrow by spirit, it can go anywhere it wants to. Just like when David took the little slingshot and throwed one little rock that was one vulnerable point on the giant. It was right between his eyes. And where'd that rock hit? Right between his eyes. What if that rock had hit right there on that steel helmet? Nothing. Nothing. But that rock was guided divinely. And that rock hit that giant. And that giant died because David said, I will take you out. I am a son of the king of Israel. I serve him. He is my God. And with him, nothing's impossible. I will knock you out and I will cut your head off and I will feed you to the birds. Was David saying the right things? Yes, he was. He was coming against the enemies of God. And when you come against the enemies of God, there ain't nothing can take you out. Nothing. As long as you're walking holy in obedience to the word. Then it says here, And after the king died, and he was brought to Samaria, they buried him, the king of Samaria, and they washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord, which he spoke. And the, did the Lord say, if you remember what we read last week, the Lord said he would die and the dogs would lick up his blood. And that's exactly what happened. If God makes a declaration because of your sin, it's done. Now, aren't you and me glad today that we don't live on that side of the cross? I tell you, this Christmas season, I can be joyful because of what the Savior did 2,000 years ago when he come. So on this side of the cross, we don't have to live here. We have 
to do what the king says. We have been given all power and all authority on this earth, and all we got to do is walk in faith today. God has reconciled the sins of every human being to himself through the blood of his son. So if you or your family has lived under these sins, under the law, these curses are going to be passed to you. And when they're passed to you, and these demons that follow along with these curses are tormenting you and your family, today all you've got to do is by faith break the curse and demand that those demons leave you. Now somebody said, well, I've tried that and tried it and it didn't work. Well, you stop trying it and you do it. That's the difference. that right, Brother Jim? You don't try to do nothing in the kingdom of God. You do what the Word of God says. Whenever you break the curse, if Jesus redeemed you from the curse by becoming a curse for you, according to Galatians 3.13, then when you claim the redemption from the curse, you turn to those devils of hell that have been tormenting you all these years and tell them, look, it is written. I am redeemed from the curse and you boys have no longer any legal claim to me, so get out in the name of Jesus. And let me don't expect them to leave easily. Now, it depends on the curse. If your mother and daddy or your grandparents were involved in some kind of witchcraft, they were involved in some kind of organizations that led powerful spirits, you can be assured you're going to be set for a battle. But can you win the battle? Yes, every time. If you don't give up, I mean, you can win the battle. I think about the simple little thing that I did one time. This was so simple. I'm learning how to walk by faith. When the Lord says in Romans 14, 23, anything I do as a son of God is sin that's not according to faith. Anything I do that's not of faith is sin. In other words, if I eat meat, he's talking about eating there in Romans 14, if I eat and I don't thank God over it, I ate it in sin. And some people say, well, gee, I never blessed my food. I say, I used to not bless mine either. And I used to get sick every once in a while too. But when I learned what this says, I not only bless the food. When they bring a cup of water to my table, we bless the water. They bring a cup of tea, I bless the tea. They bring a salad, I bless the salad. They bring a refill for the water, we bless it again. I mean, if the Lord tells me to do that, Hey, and I ain't, I ain't walked and I do everything I do in faith. And I can't do nothing in faith until I prayed. When I pray, then nothing's impossible. You can do nothing till you pray in faith. And then after you prayed in faith, nothing is impossible. That's the way the Word of God works. But I'm learning how to do this. So, in the process of learning how to do this, I'm going along there. And then one day I make a simple little sin. Some of you have heard me tell this story because this story is so powerful. Here, I'm walking holy before God. I don't have any unconfessed sin in my life. I'm walking in divine health. I know I have power over the devil. I'm learning the word. And, I mean, there is a group or a host of these wicked demons around me watching me night and day, waiting for me to make one mistake because I've stepped into a new realm. Before, when I was a normal little Baptist, they might have sent a little bitty but private to kind of watch after me once in a while. He slept most of the time. He didn't have much chore to keep me, you know. There was no problem. But when I began to read the Word of God, I became a thorn in the side of the devil. When I became a thorn in the side of the devil, he sent some of his good boys to watch over me close. And they attack me every time they can. 
And it is a constant battle, constant battle to walk in love. But this day, I made a simple little statement. A man brought a piece of paper in and handed it to me and asked me if I'd read it. I said, I don't know. And he handed it to me and I looked at it and it made a statement. I was director of engineering for a large corporation and it said if certain things were to happen, they might have to close the engineering department, which I was head of. And I looked at that and made this simple statement. Gee, if that happens, I wonder what's going to happen to me. Now, does that sound like a really bad sin? But it was. Did I do that in faith? No. I did that in doubt. That's not God. I am not supposed to trust the company I work for as my provider. I'm supposed to trust Jesus as my provider. We work for the king. Every one of us as children of king. That little sin opened the door, lowered my shield of faith, and in one instant, a fiery dart, an Ephesians 6, 16 fiery dart hit me right in the head, and I went from perfectly normal and well to a splitting migraine headache with sinus fluid running out of both nostrils just like that. I knew what I had done. I knew I had sinned. Somebody said, I can't believe that happened to you. Let me tell you, it happened to me. I've been there and lived it. It happened. I immediately repented. I began to drive out the devil. Now then, he got ingrained pretty good in just those few seconds. I did, it wasn't 30 seconds later. Couldn't have been a minute later when I repented. And then I began to drive him out, but I couldn't kick him out. In fact, that next evening, that evening when I went home and my wife saw that, she said, Honey, you've got the, a very bad sinus problem. I said, Yeah, I know. I opened the door today and let a devil in. Well, she said, let me get you some medication. I said, oh, no, 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 no. This is a spiritual problem. I ain't taking no medication. This is a devil, and I'm kicking him out. I'm telling you, she began to think I'd lost my mind. By the second day, she knew I'd lost my mind. You know, I'm not taking no medicine. I'm walking around the house saying, you devil of hell, come out of me in the name of Jesus. You know, you can understand, right, Gloria? See, you can understand. You know, if a person is not as spiritual as you are, they think, good grief, Fred, you've lost your mind now, you know. You have to be kind of careful what you say and how you say it around who you say it. Just like that man the other day come from Oklahoma City, he was a district attorney. And he told me about casting a demon out of his wife and getting her healed and everything. And he told me how it happened. He said, I learned this listening to your tapes. And he said, I reached up and grabbed old my wife one day. She was having a problem. And I cast that devil out of her and said instantly she was healed. I said, you have to be careful in your office as a district attorney of Oklahoma City, you have to be kind of careful who you tell that story to, don't you? He said, Mr., I have to be careful who I tell that story to in my church, much less in my office. <laughs> you see where I'm coming from, right? Well, whenever, as four days came and went, I continued to rebuke this devil. I am not taking no for an answer. I knew I had sinned. I knew I'd opened the door, but I knew I'd repented, and I knew it was a devil, a demon. Now, the first most of my life, as a Baptist Christian, I didn't think a Christian could have a demon. But then when God revealed to me one day that I had a demon, and he told me, then I knew I had a demon. And when I cast that demon out of myself, I was healed that night of a 30-year problem that I had. So I knew that it was demons could be in Christians. And so I was not giving up. I continued to fight my battle. Now, this is just a little dinky demon that came in, maybe one or two, because of one dinky little sin. And it took me four days and nights of intensive warfare to kick this devil out. But when I finally kicked him out and I was instantly healed, I was so amazed at what happened. 
that I was no headache. My nose was dry. My head was dry. Everything was perfect. And I just sat back in my seat and I looked back. I was driving down the road when I cast this devil out. And I saw in those great big bold letters in the, look like in the clouds, Matthew eleven twelve. I said, Lord, I've read that verse a hundred times and I have never understood it till right now. That verse says, since the coming of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven. Where is the kingdom of heaven? It's in us. It's in us. It came to us when Jesus came to this earth. And when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven, is now in you and me. He said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Who do we suffer violence from? The devil. But he says the violent take it by force. So what I had done, I had taken the Word of God and the promises of God, and I'd quoted them, rebuking the devil, quoting the promises of God over and over and over for four days and nights, bold as a lion. And that fourth day, I was violent. If you think I'm talking loud right now, you ought to have been in that truck with me that morning. If you think you've ever heard me raise your voice to me, you ought to have been in that truck with me that morning. I was giving the devil a piece of my mind. I was screaming at that beast. I'd had all I could stand to that beast. I was forceful. And I kicked him out, and I got instantly healed. But it took four days. Now, if one measly little demon can come into me like that, and you've been a member of a family that maybe have had a family that's been in witchcraft, who knows what they've done? All kinds of things outside of the Word of God. And they have allowed demons to come into that family and put curses on you, and you come to a point where you think, I've got to break these curses, and I claim the breaking of the curse. Now, devil, in the name of Jesus, Go. And you're still in as bad a shape as you was. You think, this don't work. And the devil says, that's exactly right. That's what I'm trying to convince you. This don't work. But does the Word of God always work? Yes. yes. You've got to get that in your spirit. The Word of God always works. If Jesus said, by His stripes you were healed, then you were healed. But you'll have to take that away from the devil by force. You can't be passive and get that. If the devil comes upon you and puts sickness and disease upon you and starts attacking your mind or putting a splitting headache on you, and I mean he's got a demon sitting there squeezing on your head, and you say, Oh, Mr. Demon, will you please leave me? He said, No, no, I ain't going nowhere. But you say, It is written, Luke 10, 19, and 20. That's our favorite verse, isn't it, Fred? It is written right there. You have to be subject to me. Now get out. He said, Make me go. Just like the other day, that woman sitting right there in that chair where Cheryl's sitting right now. In fact, she is standing at a healing school a month ago, and her husband brought her down here. I don't know if she's here today or not either. But that woman was standing right there with her husband standing right behind her. She's trying to tell me what her problem is so I can pray with her. She's talking so light, I can't hear her. Wally's standing right behind me. He can't hear her either. And I looked over to her husband. I said, sir, would you tell me what the problem is? And he told me what the problem was. I said, oh, that's a demon. And so I had her right here like this. She chucked my hand, so I had her already like this. And I said, you devil of hell, come out of her. And all of a sudden, she began to do this. And I said, come out of her, you devil of hell. And he said, no, I have her, and you're not going to have her. And there was people standing all around that heard that. Someone said, whoa, what is going on here? I said, we got a live one here. And she began to shake. I mean, we had a real demon in that woman. And that woman shaking her head. She's getting violent. I said, Wally, get a hold of her other side. 
So he reached up and grabbed her and we plopped her down in the chair and we began to command that devil to come out. And he kept saying, I'm not coming out. She's mine. You're not going to have her. I said, devil of hell, it's written. And I began to quote the word of God. I said, you're coming out of her in the name of Jesus. And the devil come out and left her and she had delivered. It wasn't easy. What if I'd have said, oh, de- you, you got a demon. Devil, will you please come out? He wouldn't have ever even manifest. He wouldn't have ever manifest. It's like the woman laying right over here on the floor. One day I was praying for people and I heard a big commotion over here and we'd already after church we had most of the chairs picked up and I started over there and here's a woman laying on the floor with her face pushed right down on the floor. I said, what's going on over here? Jan was over there trying to work with her and several other men and women and I started over there and that woman laying on the floor, some of you may have been here and heard that. She said, there's that voice again. I hate that voice. She makes me listen to his tapes all the time and I hate that voice. I said, you devil of hell, has walked up there and I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. How much power do we have over the devil? All. All. So don't let the devil deceive you. Don't say, God, you're not doing nothing for me. What did God do through his son on the cross for us, the church, 2,000 years ago? He delivered us. He gave us power. He gave us authority. He gave us, he healed every one of us on the cross in the atonement 2,000 years ago. If you're sick and afflicted, you have yielded to the devil in sin and unbelief or something, and you're not taking away the devil by force. In fact, while Sharon's sitting right there, we talked earlier about her testimony, about how she had her problem for 30 years. That precious woman right there, when she came to me last January to the first healing school, she said, you know, I have had my problem for 30 years. And she said, I've had at least 100 people pray for me in church, and nothing has ever happened. I said, young lady... Number one, you never repented of the sin that brought that devil on you that caused the problem. We need to find out what it is, and then you need to repent. And so she did. I asked her how long ago it happened. She told me. I said, what was you doing then? And she told me, and I said, that's sin, and you need to repent. And she repented. I said, now then, nobody's ever used the Word of God over you when they prayed over you, and nobody ever prayed over you in faith. But Thurman, a hundred people have prayed for me. I said, I know, but there's no faith in the church today. We're double-minded and unstable in all of our ways. I reached up and put my hand on her and said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And I quoted a scripture and I said, now you're healed, woman, in the name of Jesus. And from that day, that woman's been completely healed. And she said, well, ago, a year now without pain. After 30 years with pain, it's easy to praise the king, isn't it? He did that for you how long ago, Sharon? I know, but when did he really do that for you? 2,000 years ago. The king bore her sickness and removed her disease 2,000 years ago. Why did she bear it for 30 years? Because she broke God's rules. Why do any of us bear the thing? Why did I bear all the sickness and disease I did all those years? Because of sin. What was my sin? Unbelief. Unbelief. Is an evil heart of unbelief, will that keep you from getting healed? Yes, it will. Somebody said, well, just because you don't believe, that couldn't be a sin. As far as God's concerned, that's as bad as living in adultery. Make no difference with Him. Unbelief is a sin. And as long as you're living in unbelief, you can't get healed. Now, you know, you would have thought that in the 30 years or however many years that Sharon had been going back to church and all these people had prayed for her back every time, you'd have thought one of them people would have prayed in faith. But you know, if somebody had prayed in faith, it still wouldn't have happened. Do you know why? Because the sin was still there. When she got her sin taken care of and she repented, now then you can pray in faith and quote the word and you can get somebody healed. Isn't it amazing how the system works? 
But one thing about it, Sharon's told me, I've heard once in a while, I kid her when she comes, I said, I said, have you sinned any more this week? And you know what she tells me? No. I ain't going there no more. I suffered 30 years. I ain't sinning. I'm going to walk holy before God. I ain't getting off no grumbling, complaining or nothing. Are you, Sharon? We're going to walk holy before God. Every once in a while, when the king puts these things on us or allows the enemy to put these things on us, when sickness and disease or pain comes upon you, the first thing you need to do is just like this precious little lady back here on the back. What did I do wrong, Lord? Always said it was your grumbling and complaining. You mean you think grumbling and complaining could put a pain in your neck? Or I think about Miss Precious Billy back there. She had such a tremendous testimony, her and Don. I had just preached on gambling. And Don goes out and buys a lottery ticket. He never thought about it, you know. He hears me preaching, but I mean, what's the big deal? What's a lottery ticket? That's gambling. You think that would open the door to a demon to attack your wife? No, absolutely not. Yeah, but it did. They're at home that evening. Her knee, one of them, I forget which one, she came up and told the testimony. The knee was all swelled up and they prayed over it. Nothing happened. That night she got hurting so bad, she couldn't even go to the bathroom. He had to carry her. So anyway, she said, I don't, something's happened. So she went to God and said, God, what did we do wrong? Now, what he said and what she said, most husbands don't want to hear. He said, it's not you, Billy. It's your husband. It's Don. So you get up and say, honey, it's not me. It's you. Now, let me tell you, most of us guys don't want to hear that. If you're sick, don't tell me it's my sin. I don't want to hear that. But unfortunately, we've got to be tuned in to God on this. And he was a gentle, kind man. He said, okay, if I've done something, I don't know what it is. I'm willing to listen to God. Now, see, that's humbling himself before God. When he did that, the Lord spoke to her and said, he bought a lottery ticket. And she said, didn't you buy a lottery ticket? He said, yes, I did. He said, don't you remember Thurman said that's gambling and we're not supposed to do that as Christians? So he said, well, I never thought about that. So he goes and gets a ticket, throws it, tears it up, and throws it into Christ and repents. And they come back in and pray over her knee, and guess what happened? Healed. The pain goes away, and then swelling starts going down. And by the next morning, and I think it was 10 or 11 o'clock when all this happened at night, and by the next morning, she slept good that night, and the next morning woke up, and as far as I know, Billy, you've never had another problem with your knee, have you? Isn't that amazing? What does sin do? Even the little bitty sins opens the door to the devil to come into you. And when God says, go and sin no more, what do you think he meant? You think he meant that, huh, Brittany? So that makes it me and you got to watch what we do every day, don't we, young lady? Every word comes out of our mouth, everything we say, everything we do, it's very important, isn't it? That is only if we want to walk in good health, right? And we want to walk in good health, right, young lady? Yes, she does too. Now, it's very important that we realize that if God has a board meeting in heaven to ask his spirits to do things, he's still having those things. So if you're a grumbling, complaining man or woman, guess what you need to do? Stop grumbling and complaining. If you stop grumbling and complaining and repent and become the quiet, gentle person that God tells you to be, it'll change everything in your life. Now, does he allow just a little bit of sin? No sin. Who's going to be around to try to cause you to sin this week? Who's going to be around to try to get you to grumble this week? The enemy, the devil. And when he does it, he's going to laugh at you. He don't want 
women to be the women of God that God told you to be. He does not want men to be the men of God that God told you to be. So I'm going to tell you for sure, the closer you start walking in faith, the bigger are going to be the demons that's going to come against you. It's going to become very difficult to walk in love. Walking in love used to be easy for me. But today it's very difficult. But with God, I'm going to master it. Ain't we friends? With God, we're going to do it. I can't do it on my own. But with Him, I can master it. And you can too. Because Jesus would never command you and me to do something that was impossible for us to do. But He did command it because He knew it wasn't going to be easy. And He didn't just say it once, did He? He said, I command you to love them over and over. He said, don't, you don't have to love Thurman just because you like him. You've got to love him even when he's mean. Right, Dottie? <laughs> You've got to love him when he's mean. It's easy to love me when I'm good, isn't it? But when I get off on a tangent and get wicked or mean and start saying something you don't like, it's little difficult to love me then. I know you all all know where I'm coming from. Everybody's got a mate that's got one or got a friend. I mean, people's got friends. Sometimes you'll have a friend come over to your house. And I was just talking with a lady this week, and she was talking about how she had done so many wonderful things for another lady, and how she thought she was one of her best friends. And this woman literally saw a man hug her one day. And the man was married, and he had a loving wife, but just out of love, he hugged another woman and just kind of held her for a second and just in passing. And this other woman saw this, and although this other woman was in love with that man, which was married to another woman, he got mad at that woman. And because that woman did that, he told her, said, you and me can never be friends again. In fact, I'll, I'll never have nothing to do with you again. You don't never know the heart of people, do you? Did that woman have any legal right to love that man? No, he was already married. And the strangest things the devil does to us. Isn't that amazing? The way the devil works. He's pretty good at what he does, isn't he? So be aware, the devil's there. But on this side of the cross, for Christmas, you and I are not under the law. We're under grace. So let no man accuse you of any day, any season, any moons, even the Sabbath. You are free in Christ. How should we treat every day as Christians? The same. We should love God every day. We should praise Him every day, not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He should be on our lips night and day, wherever we are, shouldn't He, brother? If, if you really want Him to do wonderful things, that will really bring the King on the scene to do wonderful things. When He is up there and you're not ashamed of Him, you're talking about Him wherever you are. I think about some of the conversations I had in the cockpit of an airplane when I got a captive audience with three men. He can't get away. And I flew all over the world with three men, and I talked about Jesus regularly. Every once in a while I'd have one say, you don't, did you know how to talk about anything besides Jesus? But you know what most of those men didn't want me to talk about Jesus? They would be the men that when we'd come back out to get on the flight, one of them had been up too late last night. He'd been sleeping with some other woman because we was in Europe or something, and he's coming back home. He didn't want to hear about this Jesus. 
But that's the only thing I know to talk about. Oh, I could talk to them about that airplane, too. If they wanted to know something about that airplane, I could tell them about that airplane. I knew that airplane at that time better than I did Jesus. But now I know Jesus a lot better than I do that airplane. But at that time, I knew that airplane, every piece of that airplane. So I could talk to you about it, too. But this week, as we go into this season that's coming, whether the king came 2,000 years ago on this day, 25th, who cares? All we know is he did come. You and me, as his children, should celebrate his birth every day of our life. And we should celebrate his resurrection every day of our life. Because what he did for us on the cross gave us all things. Everything. Didn't cut us short nowhere. He just told us how to live and the power he's given us over the devil. And so when we walk in that, we can walk the abundant life because we can kick the devil out of our lives. And when we do that, life becomes fun.